Hi, everyone. Unfortunately, we must once again begin the show by paying our respects and condolences to some incredible people who made a remarkable impact in the anime industry that sadly have passed away recently. Yoshitaka Kono, an animator who was known as a great character designer on so many different series over the decades, from the Tenchi spin-offs like Pretty, Sammy, Tenchi Forever the movie. They did work on Bleach and Demon Slayer, the Berserk Golden Age arc movies, the Nadesco movie, and they were an animation director on stuff like the Bleach movie, Memories of Nobody, the first Bleach movie, and on Tenchi Muyo GXP, animator on a lot of different projects. And it's sad that they passed away recently in October from a seizure and a wound that, you know, had been suffered a couple of months prior. And yeah, it's just sad to see someone who left such an impact and whose work was contributing to so many different franchises over the years that you've seen his work in so many different things over the years. And it's just really, really sad, really shocking whenever, like, just such a incredibly prolific talent, a talent who really helped, like, lend a piece of themselves and bring to life so many different projects, uh, leaves us. And sadly, they're not the only person who has left that recently, because we also have lost two voice actors in the, in the side of the dubbing industry. We lost Jan Robson, who was the voice of Tetsuo in the Steamline dub of Akira. A real big part of anime history there. Like, to be a part of that old dub of Akira, be that voice of that character in, like, that important film. And of course, they were a big sketch performer. Like, they were on Johnny Carson shows, Mighty Carson art players many times, playing many different characters. But over the years, like, Robson had other really big anime roles and like, the Gundam movie trilogy, the Royal Space Force movie, Gotcha Man, Ponyo. And he was even in a lot of Pixar films like Toy Story, Bugs Life, Monsters, Inc., and Cars, you know? Very prolific voice actor whose voice you've definitely heard before and again. Like, definitely was a huge part of a really important dub, a really important film in the history of anime, and it spread in popularity over here in North America. And that's a real, real sad loss to lose someone like that. And yeah, it's really sad, as is also sad to lose Michael Kopsa, who again also played a very iconic character in uh, Shar in the original dub of the original Gundam. And also, probably for a lot of us growing up in the 90s, probably the voice he's best known for was Beast in X-Men Evolution, and he did a really great portrayal of Beast in that show. Actually, though, the role of his that I remember most fondly is actually his role as Pharaoh Man in Mega Man NT Warrior. And, like, that was a really great villain performance. I'll, like, never forget the moment where, like, Mega Man has just, like, lost his fight with Proto Man. But, you know, they're going to have, like, their big, you know, ah, oh, hey, respect to a fellow warrior thing. But then, like, Mega Man just gets destroyed by Faraman. It's like, oh, wow. Like, that's a huge moment. And that arc was a huge thing. And that was, like, such a big villain in my memory. It was like, oh, wow. And it's like, 
wow. When I look at his credits, I was like, oh my god, he was Ferriman. He was that character. I was like, wow. Yeah, he, his portrayal of that character really left a big impression on me. And of course, he was involved in a lot of dubs of various different shows. Like, he was in Gundam Double O as Ilya. He was in Inuyasha as Goshinki. He really played a lot of different characters or a lot of different series uh, that I'm sure, like, one of them you'll remember very fondly. And of course, you know, a lot of people were sharing the clips of him as Char on Twitter, and especially, like, the dub of the scene where, like, Char is telling Garma off uh, as he, like, has betrayed Garma and sending him to his death. And that is, like, a really great performance uh, of a scene and as Char. And yeah, just a great, great talent. And what's really sad about Kopsa and Rapson passing away is that they, they only passed away in their late 60s. Like, they're still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. You know, they could have had many more years left to be with us and left to do more roles or just to live their lives. And it's just really really sad to lose these great voices who again uh, perform just really memorable roles that have stuck with us I'm sure in some way or matter and yeah it's just a sad thing to lose these talented people and I just wanted to take some time to pay respects to them to celebrate them thank them for the work that they have done that has left an impression on us and has really kind of enriched our lives and what they've contributed to like this entertainment but also just for being like incredibly great talents and remarkable people and yeah I just wanted to pay respects to them to thank them and send our well wishes and condolences to all their friends and loved ones and then just take a moment of silence uh, to pay respects This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 219. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamron Mayasha. And you know what's spookier than the Halloween season? Having to cover a bunch of news, a bunch of fall news, because, oh my god, the leaves are falling down, piling up, so is the news, and we have a lot of it we gotta rake over and put off to the side today. Much like a glut of Halloween candy left over, we gotta go through it all, but in our case, the candy's about to expire, so we gotta devour it all, stuff it down as fast as possible before they become stale and give us a stomach ache. 
Um, like we have so much news on this episode that we have to cover that honestly, we, we could consider this like an early Thanksgiving dinner. I, th- I think Thanksgiving came early, actually. Well, it's going to spoil our appetite for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and hopefully we won't have even more on the table at Thanksgiving to try and stuff ourselves down with and then burst because of how much we're packing in there. That's just too much for our bodies to handle. Oh. But we'll see. We'll see if we can endure and last. We will endeavor to do our best. But it truly was like a incredible month of news with so many different announcements from new manga being announced from a lot of different creators. We've got a lot of new licensing announcements for a lot of different publishers. And man, was there a ton of different anime news. There is a bunch of news in the lead up to Anime NYC. There were a lot of big news stories to talk about and that's what we're going to endeavor to do our best to do today all right i can't wait to see how much news we can actually cover within a sensible time frame question mark uh well we'll see even before we get on the news and i promise i'll try to make this quick i do want to talk about one or two things at the top of the show i mean first off uh i really hope everybody has enjoyed our red sprite episode it's uh once again another one of our jump stop podcasts where we do cover a canceled show to jump manga uh we covered red sprite in particular from tomohiro yagi uh we had a lot of fun talking with our good friend maxi and doctor from the ass backwards anime podcast about that series and uh yeah if you haven't listened to that you should Again, I I really love covering Cancel Jump manga in particular. Always very interesting to talk about. So much so that we dedicated time on our Patreon to covering an entire other series. That's right. Over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks at the $5 tier, uh, you could basically listen to an entire bonus episode of Manga Mavericks, essentially, about Tomohiro Yagi's first series, Iron Knight, which we also had Maxi on for. It was a lot of fun discussing that series. Not just that, but we also talked about, obviously, you know, a Shonen Jump at the time and its environment uh, back in 2014, especially, as well as some of Tomohiro Yagi's other, like, prototype one-shots that were produced kind of on the way to Iron Knight serialization. A lot of info on there about the Golden Future Cup entries that were alongside the Iron Knight prototype one-shot at the time, information on Jump Versus, a magazine that, uh, as Maxi says on the podcast, was really, really hard to find info on because it led them to uh, so many other innocuous discussions that had nothing to do with the magazine because it's, it's hard to Google. You know, info on, like, Yagi's assistants at the time. Like, so much really cool info that, honestly, I am going to say that it is the most comprehensive podcast on Iron Knight ever produced. As is the case with some of our Jump Stop podcasts. What can I say? I really like to be thorough. So does Maxi. Because, you know, like I've mentioned before, dozens of times, these Cancelled Show to Jump comics are so infinitely interesting to dig into and explore. But essentially, if you just want an entire bonus episode of Manga Mavericks, Again, that's at patreon.com slash mangamavericks at the $5 tier. That is available for you guys to listen to. If you enjoyed our Red Sprite discussion and want to hear about Tomohiro Yagi's works in general, please go listen to that. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Indeed. I think those podcasts, the Red Sprite Iron Knight podcasts, make a good pair for each other. And I think the Iron Knight discussion is even longer than the Red Sprite discussion, so you're going to get a lot out of that one if you've uh, listened to that one already. So a lot of good talk about Tomohiro Yagi's works. For sure. And so, yeah, once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks, also the best place to support us and all that stuff. Uh, We really want to thank you guys for your support over there. For anyone who is, uh, you know, who has signed up for our Patreon in the past, really appreciate it. 
And I guess the other thing I really wanted to talk about before we go on to the rest of the show is that due to a multitude of reasons, holidays are coming up, like always, there's that. But also, we have certain podcasts coming up that are going to take more time to edit than others due to sheer length or technical issues or both. So with that being said, there are going to be some very possible delays coming to the podcast for the rest of the year. There may be a week or two where we just don't post anything. And if that happens, uh, that is because one of us is working on something that unfortunately just kind of needs more editing time. So yeah, just wanted to let everybody know about that up front. And you know, I can at least mention this real quick. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time going into detail about this because we have so much news to talk about. We'll probably talk about this in more detail on another episode, but just know that Lum and I have officially decided that we are going to be switching back to a bi-weekly schedule instead of a weekly schedule. Again, due to a multitude of reasons that I don't necessarily want to go into on this podcast, but I at least wanted to let people know that after this year, we are going to be changing up our schedule. It is coming. Again, just mostly wanted to let everybody know because, again, there are going to be foreseeable delays to the podcast for the rest of the year that uh, I just kind of felt like we should be upfront with our listeners about. And, you know, obviously, we, we apologize profusely ahead of time for those delays, but they're just kind of unavoidable, you know, not just due to the length and technical issues with some of these podcasts, but uh, I'm busy. Uh, Lum is even more busy. I have four different projects, work projects going on at once, and I have to prepare for going to a master's program next year, and I have my sister's wedding in December. In my life, just myself, there's a lot going on, so the time I've had to do podcast things has been diminished, which is why like a lot of the things that I've been trying to work on have been going very slowly, which has been frustrating, but there's just a lot that is happening. Uh, I, I feel like this year in particular, we've both been just kind of busy in general, which is a big reason why we have decided to bring the podcast back to a biweekly schedule uh, like we used to back in the day. That's kind of the big reason. Uh, we want to give ourselves a, just a little less to commit to, essentially. But the podcast is still going strong. Don't worry. We're not going to like stop the show anytime soon. But essentially, we are going to kind of scale ourselves back in terms of like, you know, what we produce every month, uh, especially since, you know, Lum and I both have side podcasts that we really want to focus our time on. And because of that, we don't really have any choice but to kind of scale back our production on Manga Mavericks a little bit. But again, we still have plenty of cool podcasts for you guys coming up. So I don't want this to make it sound like we're going to slowly stop doing Manga Mavericks or anything. We're still going to do the podcast. We're just going to do a little less in the coming year. But again, I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit more on another podcast when we kind of have a better idea of like what our schedule is going to look like in terms of releases. And we'll kind of let, try to let you guys know ahead of time, you know, what's coming up and what we have on the docket. And so, yeah, just wanted to let people know that there will be delays in the podcast coming up. And again, we do apologize, but sometimes these things happen. But still, look forward to all the cool podcasts that we do have coming up. I promise the wait will be worth it. We just we just have a lot of cool stuff coming up down the pipeline. But anyway, with all that out of the way, I think we should really get to all of our news because we have a shit ton to talk about. And uh, I can go ahead and start us off by talking about the monthly New York Times graphic books and manga bestseller list uh, for the month of October. And uh, not a whole lot to go over with this list, but I will start from the bottom going up to the top. At number 15, we have volume one 
of Spy Family. And then going up to number 13 on the list, we have Spy Family Volume 2. Uh, next up at number 11, we have Solo Leveling Volume 5, uh, Chainsaw Man Volume 1 at number 10 on the list. And then going all the way up to number 2 on the list, we have Spy Family Volume 8, and that's about it for all the manga on the list. Basically, the very little manga that's on this list, Spy Family has basically taken over. Yeah, a lot of returning interest and hype for Spy Family with the second part of the season starting up. And yeah, I mean, Spy Family's, again, super, super big right now. And of course, we got Chainsaw Man in here too. I also hyped up for the premiere of the anime that's going on. So yeah, good stuff. No, for sure. Yeah, I don't think we have anything else to say about the New York Times list. It's pretty straightforward. I think we'll have a bit to talk about with uh, the next book scan list, though, uh, for the month of September. Talking about Spy Family once again, Spy Family Volume 8 ranking at number one on the list with Volume 2 ranking at number five, Volume 1 ranking at number seven, and Volume 3 ranking at number 10. Once again, Spy Family is one of the things at this moment that is dominating because the second season of the anime is out. The only thing on this list that has a bit more than it is Chainsaw Man. We have Volume 1 of Chainsaw Man ranking at number 2, with Volume 2 ranking at number 9, Volume 11 ranking at number 13, Volume 3 ranking at number 18, and Volume 4 ranking at number 20. And yeah, honestly, I would not be surprised if like on the next list, Chainsaw Man covers even more of the list, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's already a quarter of the list with five spots, so I can only see it taking up even more space as the popularity anime continues to grow and more people continue to get into it and get into hype and continue to buy it. It's already such an extremely strong seller. I really do wonder how much higher it can go, the heights it can reach uh, thanks to the anime. So we'll see. I genuinely don't know. Um, I mean, the other possibility is that next month, Spy Family and Chainsaw Man could be even more neck and neck, honestly. it's That's entirely possible as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. But personally i think that chainsaw man only had like one more volume than spy family on this list so right now it's sort of neck and neck a little bit but honestly i think chainsaw man is going to have even more representation on the next on next month's list honestly i like i think that's more likely yeah we'll have to see but i would believe it i definitely think i've been seeing more convo on chainsaw man than spy family so i could definitely see that it's the focus of the pop culture discussion right now for sure uh next up we have jujitsu kaisen with volume 17 ranking at number three volume zero ranking at number eight and volume one ranking at number 17 uh jujitsu kaisen hard to compete with some of the other titles on this list even though it's, it's still very popular but i mean look when that next season of the anime comes out i mean look it's, it's gonna take over more of the list i i think that's a guarantee Mm-hmm. I think so. Next up, we have Solo Leveling, Volume 5, ranking at number 4. The only volume of Solo Leveling on the list, but still also a very popular title right now. And also another title where I'm expecting this to take over at least some of the list by the time the new anime comes out. That's going to be really cool. I, I might actually check out the anime. I still haven't had the chance to read Solo Leveling yet. Yeah, when we were driving We Lord down to LA to move him in there, we listened to the Solo Leveling audiobook of the first volume, and I see the appeal 
I think, but also I feel like it didn't do enough to convince me it's like that different from like other the hero gets like a hack's ability that makes him like overpowered and better than everyone else type stories. So I think like the appeal is kind of this hunter hunter style strike strategy because in the series they're literally hunters and they go on missions and the way they talk about the power system stuff it's like okay this author is clearly inspired by Hunter Hunter. So I think that kind of mind game at that aspect it's probably part of the appeal and of course it's also just the, the overpowered hero aspect kind of the gaming aspect of it but that's also what kind of makes me feel okay what is this about beyond like this kind of obsession of like kind of maximizing your output in the system of like you know this system of like going to these caves and increasing your level and whatnot and so I had some mixed thoughts on solo leveling from the first one, but there were also like story treads that were getting set up that were like, okay, this could be intriguing. But yeah, I mean, I'm very curious because this is a, such a popular series. I'm curious to see what the reception to it will be the anime comes out and how that will affect the series's popularity from there. Because yeah, it's, it's definitely like a really big title. I mean, it was on the NYT list. It's like here in the book scan. Uh, I'm very, very curious. Personally, I think it has something to do with the comic version of it. But then again, I haven't read it myself, so I don't know how visually appealing it is or not. I think that, yeah, the art might be one of the strong selling points of the series. Yeah. Maybe that execution, that interpretation that kind of takes some of the elements of the manga that get just too sucked in of like, oh, here are like game mechanics that we are reciting to you. That is how the character is approaching this world. And then maybe it just translate that in like a more visually dynamic way. So yeah, I'd be interested in checking out the manga version, of course, but also seeing how the anime adapts and translates the strengths of the story as well. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's I'm sure it's like more visually appealing is the thing, and I'm sure that's probably a big reason why people were very into it. Um, not to say anything bad about the story, but I, I, I think... Well, the light novels are also a bit popular in their own right. So, yeah, I would be interested to see how, how the story evolves. Because I definitely was like, huh. I think I get the point of appeal, but also it's not standing out enough for me compared to, like, a lot of very other similar series in this genre. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean. But still, yeah, I'd at least like to check out the comic version at some point. Uh, next up, we have Volume 1 of Demon Slayer at number 6 on the list, with Volume 2 at number 15. Demon Slayer, still chugging along, still doing good. Not exactly the flavor of the month at the moment, but, you know, still very popular. Absolutely. And then we have uh, Dragon Ball Super, Volume 16, ranking at number 11. I think this is the second time in a row that Volume 16 has been on the list, because I'm pretty sure it was on last month's list, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was on last month's list. So it's interesting. I guess people are really getting into the super manga in a much bigger way in the aftermath of superhero. Maybe it's also just people are really interested in the granola arc, which starts with volume 16. So maybe that's drawing people to it too. But it's interesting to see super kind of get like this kind of spunk and prominence in the book scan list where we haven't really seen volumes rank terribly regularly. But here at volume 16 has kind of lingered for two months now. Now, at least so it's interesting yeah that's not something that usually happens you, usually dragon ball super will be on the list once and then kind of stay absent for at least until the next new volume well if at all like some of the volumes have not ranked but okay yeah yeah and looking back uh super volume 16 has lasted yeah it's lasted quite a bit here so yeah it's interesting 
One title I am really happy to see linger on the bookscan list is Tokyo Revengers with the second Omnibus edition with volumes three and four, ranking at number 12. Tokyo Revengers, I'm pretty convinced, is going to be a pretty, like, regular title on this list moving forward. I'm sure, too. And it's great to see that, you know, Seven Seas has a hit with Revengers in this way that's competitive with all these big jump hits that Wiz puts out. It really does stand out in this list where the only other title that is in Viz is Yen Press of Solo Leveling. So, you know, it's good that the other publishers have at least some titles that like are competitive with like Viz's jump stuff. It gives a nice variety in the market, showing some nice maybe variety in the taste of the fandom, even though they're pretty similar in terms of genre of like battle shonen-y type stories. But it's just nice to see something from Seven Seas on this list. I, I don't think that happens rarely, if at all. Not as far as I can remember. No, it doesn't happen regularly. No. Um, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, when we eventually cover those sort of, like, mid-year, like, statistics about, like, what sells the best for, like, each publisher, I would not be surprised if Tokyo Revengers isn't at least, like, somewhat close to maybe being, like, a bestseller, probably the bestseller for Seven Seas. I think it has that potential. I think it is already there, or it's getting there. I think it's a given that at the end of the year, we're going to talk about the next books again report next year, and the number one title for Seven Seas would be Tokyo Revengers. For sure. Uh, and then lastly, we have My Hero Academia with Volume 1 ranking at number 14, and Volume 31 ranking at number 16. So My Hero Academia, normally I'd be a bit more surprised about the fact that My Hero Academia isn't placing on the list as much, considering the fact that the new season of the anime is currently airing right now. But also, Spy Family and Chainsaw Man are really the big thing right now, and I would not be surprised if they continue to take up most of the list, at least for like the next month or two. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely the new hotness, but MHA sustains in popularity. And so we'll see how the new season is being received and if it convinces people to like go out and buy the manga again. But I would agree that, yeah, I think most people's attention are on Chainsaw and Spy. But yeah, that's really about it for this month's uh, book scan list. Uh, I don't know if you have anything you want to add before we move on. It's still a very jump heavy list. Very, but it yes. Is nice to see, you know, some stray titles here that break the mold, at least from being from other publishers and solo leveling in Tokyo Revengers. Not as much as in other months where that has happened, but at least it's not all Viz and Jump. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. But otherwise, it's like a lot of the usual. No, for sure. Um, but I guess with all that, we can move on to a buttload of serialization news we have to talk about. There are a lot of new manga coming from established creators that are quite notable. Let's start off with some that are already out by the time you're listening to this. Horora Kawamoto of Kakigurui fame launched a new fantasy manga as of October 21st. It's called The Heroes Party's Pack Mule. And Kawamoto is writing this while the art is being drawn by Ryo Yajima. It's basically an Izekai adventure equipment-carrying fantasy set in a world where the evil Dark Lord has already been defeated, and the protagonist has no combat skill, but a skill that one overlooked but necessary skill, carry equipment. And Liddy was more than honored to be a part of the hero's party, carrying their equipment, but after the Dark Lord is defeated, you know, he parts with the heroes on uh, good terms and starts up on adventure for the first time. So basically it's about the caddy of the adventuring teams in an Izekai world, the first 
person who's like the pack mule that carries everyone's stuff. And uh, he's going out on his own, but he has all this experience carrying everyone's stuff and lifting heavy loads. So I'm sure he has a lot of tools and resources on his belt to help him on his solo journey. So I think that could be like a fun thing. I think that Libby's character design is pretty cute. And yeah, we will see how this turns out. So I mean, obviously, Kawamoto has done a lot of successful titles in the series, and they're incredibly prolific because as we'll touch upon later, they've got a new like anime that they've been involved in the concept for coming out pretty soon too in high cards. So yeah, Kawamoto's doing a lot these days. But yeah, they got this new manga under the belt too. Next, we got a new manga from Ri Aruga, best known for their series The Perfect World. They're launching a new title called Shelter of Love in the November issue of Kananja's Kiss, which has already come out by the time we've seen this. And this is about basically two teens who like both grew up in an orphanage and they went to the orphanage around the same time, like the age of 10. Like one of the orphans, the, the female protagonist, she went to the orphanage because she was suffering domestic violence and abuse from her mom. And and the male protagonist, you know, took care of the female protagonist of the And so now several years have passed and they're in high school and uh, the girl has feelings for the guy because of kind of the shared experience they had as like orphans and him taking care of her. This has a interesting, sweet premise of like two people who kind of come from really traumatic backgrounds, lonely backgrounds, kind of finding connection to each other. And then, you know, one of the characters develops an even deeper connection and feelings of love for the other. And I think those are really interesting emotions that could be explored really beautifully. And I have trusted Re Aryaka can do that as the writer of The Perfect World that also navigated some really intense feelings as well. So very, very interested. Next, we got also a new manga from Nozomi Mino, best known for Yakuza Lover, and they are going to launch a new title in Cheese on December 23rd. And we don't really know much about it, but considering the type of series Yakuza Lover is, uh, considering the type of magazine cheese is, uh, expect a lot of steamy sex, a lot of cheesecake that'll live up to the, the magazine title, live up to the reputation for passionate love that a Yakuza lover had as well, I'm sure. So another, for all you Yakuza lover fans, uh, fans of like really steamy, uh, Shoujo Jose series, you know, look forward to Nozomi Mino's next work. Uh, in terms of like, Perhaps little tamer romances. Keiko Iwashita is launching a new romance manga that has come out in Kadanja's Dessert by the time you uh, listen to this. It's called I'll Give You Enough Love to Choke On. And this is a romance manga on the relationship between a unique physician and aspiring designer who have opposite personalities. But the story begins when they meet at a ramen shop and the girl finds the guy to have a bad personality but later encounters him while he is performing. So yeah, two creative people who kind of start to form connection and relationship with each other, which I think is really interesting. And they also appear to be kind of young adults, which I also very much appreciate. I enjoyed what I read of Living Room Matsunaga-san, which is Yoshida's previous manga. The one barrier I had with it, though, is that it was an age gap romance between, like, a guy in his 20s and, like, this high school girl, which I wasn't super on board with. But in terms of the writing, in terms of her writing of, like, characters and relationships and the thoughts of characters, like, Yoshida does a really good job with that. She's a really good writer. So this premise uh, really excites me because I think that she can do really interesting stuff 
stuff with it, tell a really compelling story with these two characters. And obviously, these are characters in creative industries. So, you know, I am immediately kind of drawn to that as well, uh, someone in that world. So yeah, I'm very, very, very curious about this one. Uh, looking forward to hearing how it turns out. And hopefully it'll not have kind of the same like little caveat that I had with reading Living Room Matsunaga. Now, in terms of, like, other authors known for their romance manga coming out, and romance manga with some problematic elements especially, uh, we got a new manga from Kei Sasuga coming. Kei Sasuga of Domestic Girlfriend fame. They are launching a new manga called It's a Secret Between Couples. It's already came out in Grand Jump. We don't really have too much info on this, but what's interesting about it is that it is Sasuke's first work in a Shoeisha publication because Domestic Girlfriend and their series before that were both with Kodansha. So I think that's interesting that they've moved on to Shoeisha and they're doing a work for Shoeisha now. And yeah, like I think that's interesting. So yeah, I mean, Domestic Girlfriend was a very popular series so I'm sure if this series catches on, we could see like a license for it in the future. And I, I wonder how it'll toe the line in terms of the type of stories Kei Sasuga has written. Because Domestic Girlfriend went to the trash extreme, but they wrote a very compelling, you know, romance manga and good ending that is kind of a lot tamer comparison and really uh, well liked from everyone that... I know who read it, so it's, it's kind of an extreme there of like going from good ending to going to a series with, I guess it doesn't have a bad ending, but it certainly has a fraught ending <laughs> in Domestic Girlfriend. Uh, I wonder on what side of the spectrum, good ending Domestic Girlfriend, uh, it's a secret between couples is going to land. I'm definitely curious to find out. Uh, in terms of other romance manga favorites, you know, I'll defer to you, Colton, because I saw you wanted to talk about this one. Yes, and uh, this is already out by the time we're, we're recording this right now, but it was announced in Shueisha's Kokohana magazine that Kazune Kawahara and Aruko, the creators of uh, one of our favorite series, My Love Story, has started a two-chapter manga entitled Is This Love a Lie, The Truth, or a Dream? And uh, the manga centers on, assumedly, our main character Minori, a girl who doesn't want to be fooled by her seemingly jovial boss Kasuga, whom she thinks she won't get along with. So I'm assuming this will probably be like an office rom-com kind of thing where like the boss probably teases her a bit and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm assuming this will be a very cute dynamic with some great art from Ariko as always. Yeah. And it's interesting to see them tackle a story with adult protagonists because of their previous series have been more focused on teens and high schoolers. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice to see them kind of shake things up in terms of the ages of the characters and what that opens up in terms of how much further they can explore relationships, life situations. And yeah, I'm very curious. And it I think even the style of Aruko's art is kind of reflecting that in terms of it's not drawn kind of as softly as like My Love Story's art. It definitely looks a little more mature-ish. Yeah, for sure. In terms of like how the characters are being portrayed. So yeah, I am very, very curious to see them tackle kind of a, a romance story between older characters and what did that bring? Yeah, the key art for this I thought was a little confusing because I was like, oh, this is from Aruko? Like I, I didn't like recognize her style immediately. 
I mean, Arco has versatility in uh, their style, but I mean, definitely, I think thinking audience account, taking like the type of series this is in the account, like they're going for more uh, of a mature look with these characters than like kind of the, the softer, goofier look of characters in my love story. For sure, for sure. Um, still, if this got picked up, I'd love to check it out. Oh, absolutely. Big fan of their works and very excited for this next one. And speaking of uh, works from beloved shoujo manga creators, we've got another exciting one to look forward to because Julieta Suzuki, best known for Kami-sama Kiss, is launching a new series on Hanato Yume that's going to be out on November 5th and probably will be out by the time you're listening to this. And yeah, it's basically going to be a vampire romantic comedy, a bloody romantic comedy, as the tagline promises. It's about an anime otaku vampire and her sharp-tongued neighbor. And this this is actually a full fleshed out version of a one shot that Suzuki published earlier in April. And the one shot had a slightly different kind of take because it was about a vampire who was like a shut in for 30 years and then suddenly got hooked on hot anime guy characters. I think that for the series, uh, the character may have been like aged down a bit. I mean, clearly she's still holding like a body pillow of a hot guy character. So she's still into that. She's still a bit of a Fujo. She, so we'll see. Uh, like, I guess like how the execution turns out. But yeah, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this because I enjoyed what I read of comics on kiss uh the series in general is very beloved and yeah i'm very much looking forward to seeing this day because i think it has a lot of attention to be fun for like a vampire otaku i mean i guess we had kind of something like that in blood lad but you know this is more of a, a romance manga take than a battleship take so yeah very much uh, looking forward to this one because it looks very cute uh, in terms of other, it's really been a romance manga type cake today because uh, we also got another title from Gamer's author coming out soon. Sekena Oi is launching a new manga with artist Ryu Suzura, and it's going to be a new romantic comedy called The Person I Like Like Someone. This is going to be out in Young Animal Zero on November 9th. And we don't really have much more information about that. But again, I like the gamers anime when that aired a few years ago. I thought it was pretty funny. So I like how the author writes characters and funny situations. And I think that could lend itself pretty well to uh, romantic comedy kind of thing. So yeah, I am curious about this one as well. You know, big, big, nice time for love, right? And we're just continuing on with that. But we're going to take things a little more mature, take things to a little more uh, adult and manly, because we got a new manga from Gengaro Tagami. They are expanding on a one-shot that he did back in May. He's serializing a full-series version of Fish and Water. This has been already starting to run as of mid-October. And the premise of this is like, it takes place during COVID times. So it takes place right in the middle of the pandemic, which it's hard to believe that his book feels so long ago, but also so recent. Uh, but basically it's about a company employee and his friend who is very good at cooking. And in the one-shot story, the company employee guy, Komoda, is like given excessive cabbage to his job. And he takes the cabbage over to Goji's house to cook and for them to eat together so it's kind of like a kind of romance uh, bonding manga through cooking between these just two dudes yeah i really think that it's sweet you know romance stories where kind of they kind of develop relationships through doing a shared activity like cooking are always very nice and yeah i think that tagami's point kind of like is stop to scale where the dudes still are like very very uh broad shoulder buff and muscular looking so 
Uh, yeah, it looks cute, and I really am curious to read it, and I, I hope to see this, you know, get collected and licensed in hopefully a couple years. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take, but yeah, I I just am looking forward to more of Tayame's, you know, all ages, mainstream type works, uh, as much as I also enjoy his hardcore stuff, like I actually got a passion of Kangaroo Dagami on my desk to read at some point <laughs> soon. But yeah, like, I, I'm very much excited for more Takami works and uh yeah this looks great same same yeah when and if this gets picked up by pantheon hopefully at some point i will definitely be picking this up absolutely i'm also you know speaking of people well beloved for their romantic comedies and the romance series kanetsu yanaba is uh starting a new rom-com manga called telework kyoto panashi it's going to be out in morning issue on november 2nd basically it's all going to be out by the time you're listening to this and it's another like kind of story about two people in the workplace it's about an office worker working remote from home who has more free time getting to know the woman like store to them and yeah you know sweat and soap you know i finally started reading a couple months ago and i really enjoyed it and i am definitely really looking forward to seeing a new work from yamada because they really do write relationships between characters so well especially kind of like the connections the characters make as they fall in love with each other they're really great at that and i'm very much looking forward to another series in that vein and uh, you know especially it's it's another one that's kind of oh very relevant to the times so, like oh a person working from home who is like you know in most circumstances would be kind of isolated from everyone else but now it's uh, getting to know their neighbor and maybe more uh, than friendship is gonna form out of that so i think that's a very interesting very of the times premise now we're going to move on from romance manga we had a lot of new romance manga to look forward to so you know romance lovers are definitely going to be feasting the next couple of months but we also have some new battle type series like we got a new series from one of one punch man and mom psycho fame he's going to be riding a new uh, manga and teaming up with artist Kyotaro Asuma of the King of Fighters manga to do a new series called Versus that's going to be out on the November 26th issue of Shonen Series from Kodansha and credited for series composition Bose so they're probably also helping out with the, the writing structuring of the stories too but yeah this is like one's first new series since Mob Psycho in 2012 which is pretty interesting it's like his first new original work in a decade that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically you know another fantasy world type story it's like set in a world where humans have been evaded and oppressed for hundreds of years after emergence of demons and demons are led by one dark lord and 47 generals and throughout the ages humans have gathered from the number 47 heroes who are marshalling forces to fight off the demons and begin their desperate battle for survival so you know the from the premise it feels like oh it's gonna be more of a straightforward fantasy action type series but this is one we're talking about so there's gotta be some sort of comedic twist to it i'm sure and yeah. <laughs> that's what i'm interested in seeing and finding out what that is and the synopsis has not given that away so yeah i am i'm looking forward to this because i know there's something more to this than just what the premise suggests so yeah but it's cool to see one come up with a new work Mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to this. I really want to read this. And thankfully, since it's going to be a Kodansha thing, I'm sure this will probably get at least a digital release at some point. Yeah, I would be really surprised if Kodansha doesn't jump on putting up the series as quickly as they can when the digital volumes come out. 
I mean, heck, I don't know what their simulpost strategy is these days, but nope. if they were to jump on like doing simulpods for this, I would be down for that too. Oh my god, I would love to read a simulpod for this, honestly. For sure. Now we're getting into spin-off territory because there's also been a lot of like spin-offs coming up or, you know, there's news about spin-offs. So first is that Lucifer and the Whisk of Hammer because of like the anime that is still airing. Uh, no one really been talking about it, but like <laughs> because of the anime that's been going on, it got a new like one shot that was written by Ichiro Seto, uh, supervised by Musukami, and it kind of follows the character Shim Nomome Mikazuki after the chromatic battle, and they meet a young boy who wants to join a gang, and does not believe they're heroes in real life. So yeah, kind of like an epilogue to the series, essentially. And uh, the characters definitely look a little more mature, grown-up-ish. So yeah, there's uh, another like little piece of the Biscuit Hammer story out there. It's kind of like a shorter thing, so I don't know if it's going to get collected or translated. But yeah, I mean, interesting thing to seek out if you're a Biscuit Hammer uh, Misukami fan. And and really exciting spin-off news, uh, Fushiki Yuki Byakusenki, which has been on hiatus for years, for like four years because of, you know, with Haze's health, it is coming back. It's going to return fall 2023, so still a year to go before it returns proper. It'll return basically five years uh, since it went on hiatus, but it's coming back. We got news that it's coming back, and I'm excited because I have read the volume of this that has been released, and I do think it's like really good. It has a really great start, and uh, I'm just excited to see more of the world of the, the King of the Biako get developed and more of the this part of the story get developed. So, yeah, I am very happy to hear that it's coming back. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, Wachase will be in much better health then, that they'll be able to continue to work on the story through its conclusion. And so this, like, kind of final piece of the Fushigi-Yugi epic, the Fushigi-Yugi puzzle, will be put to rest. Now we got some serialization updates to talk about. Manga's taking hiatuses or announcing they're coming to an end soon. So Laidback Camp is actually going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus and resume serialization on February 3rd. And in the meantime, like Comic Fuzz uh, has been like offering chapters of the Otter Afro's other series Mono, kind of filling the gap, filling the time. But yeah, so... Maybe I can't just take a little bit of a break, but hey, I hope the author enjoys the break. And yeah, this is on my mind because also the laid back camp film is like premiering at Anime NYC and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it makes me like, oh yeah, I look forward to that and uh, look forward to seeing this series uh, continue return. But in terms of things that we don't have to worry about ending for a long time, or at least a little bit while, Gundam Thunderbolt, Yasuo Otake recently talked about a 10th anniversary uh, exhibition for the series, that it's going to go on for like five or six more years. Uh, the climax has started. Uh, they finally start on the climax, but, uh, you know, it's still going to take another five years for the story to actually finish. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoy uh, Gundam Thunderbolt, so yeah, very much inside that it's going to keep going on for a little while, and uh, definitely gives me some time to catch up on it before its finale but a great part of the Gundam franchise another series that I've kind of been keeping up with the volumes that are collecting them is Love of Kill from Faye and that is actually going to be ending or it's going to at least reach its climax on the November 15th issue of Monthly Comic Gene and you know this comes after news back in March that the author was planning to probably end the series with the 13 volume which should be out this winter so 
yeah, this series looks to be coming to its end. People had some mixed reception on the anime, and I also need to catch up on reading the volumes. But, you know, if you're a fan of romance stories or relationship stories between two, like, assassins, uh, kind of like Spy Family, it's another one to check out. Another series I really enjoy that's coming to an end soon is Interviews with Monster Girls. That's ending in December. Yeah, basically it's going to end in December. issue of Monthly Young Magazine. And the final volume will be the 11th volume. Another series that I have kind of fallen on reading in recent years, but it's not terribly long, so I should definitely catch up. But yeah, I enjoy the series and its cast of characters. And it's kind of look at characters who are kind of, you know... They don't fit in, and so they need to have, like, kind of consideration accommodations be made for them that I think it's really thoughtful how the series explores that and these characters uh, feeling integrated. Whether you want to read it as a story by characters dealing with, like, disabilities or just a story by characters who are marginalized uh, in general. And yeah, I really enjoy the series, so I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. Uh, another series uh, that is coming to a closure soon, we're going to get to a few Kadansha titles that are coming to a close soon, especially, is uh, Love After World Domination. This series recently made a big splash with the anime. Uh, a lot of people really fell in love with this one. This series is going to end, it basically will probably have ended by the time you're listening to this on the November 5th issue of Monthly Shonen Magazine. Now, another one that really enjoyed everything I've seen of it, want to catch up with it, and yeah, it's going to come to a close soon. Uh, probably ultimately being about six volumes total, it looks like. So not terribly long series. I've heard good things. I definitely want to get on that at some point. Yeah, it is quite delightful. It's a fun story about romance between like kind of a villain subordinate and then, you know, a Sentai hero. So very cute. And then, yeah, again, speaking of things uh, coming to an end from Kadansha, Carcaptor Sakura Clear Card, the sequel to Carcaptor Sakura, is coming to its end in 2023 with its 14th volume. And I know a lot of people have kind of been frustrated with Clear Card and the direction it's had. They feel like it's like a retread, but also stagnating in some ways, especially if people felt that way about the anime version. But yeah, like, it had a pretty lengthy healthy run in fact i think that clear card is longer than the original card captor sakura i think so so yeah it had a lot yeah it's like longer the original was 12 volumes and this is ending with like 14 volumes so uh, a lot more story that clam wanted to tell with this but yeah i don't know what i need to catch back up on but it's you know been single pub for many years so you know that it's been a way for people to just enjoy the story of sakura and all the gang and their adventures and yeah it's gonna come to a close and maybe they'll with it coming to a close they might green light a second season to the anime to kind of adapt the rest of it because i know that was another frustrating thing is like i'm just stopped and an unsatisfying place in the anime so yeah that would be nice you know speaking of a series that it's been pretty big from gadansha colton i'll let you take this one if you want to sure and um by the time you're listening to this this will be very very close to ending i think it'll have like a chapter or two left but yes ken wakui's tokyo revengers will be ending on november 16th if all goes according to plan and there are no breaks or delays and yeah tokyo revengers uh if you haven't listened to our episode on it you know i, I know lum you're very mixed on tokyo revengers and have very fair criticisms mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think we still agree that overall it is a very good series and it's at least very enjoyable. And I would really, really love to do a part two on this when we eventually get the rest of it over here because I really want to see how it ends. 
Yeah, I think that we definitely have opened the door to do a follow-up discussion to talk about how the series ends, because I am very curious, you know, that'll mean like an arc or two that we have left to cover that we didn't get to in our original discussion. So yeah, I definitely am looking forward to that. You know, again, I had a lot of criticisms of Tokyo Revengers, but I also on the discussion did point out a lot of interesting things it was doing thematically and idea wise that I appreciated, even if like there were aspects of how it handled certain characters, especially its female characters, I didn't care for. So yeah, I am, I am interested in like how it brings everything together with those uh, thematic ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there's especially no way that we can't do a part two, because I'm I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, we left off on a point where I think we were about to start getting like a lot of big reveals. <laughs> We literally left off at the point where uh, Hanamichi was confronting Kisaki. So it's like, we left off right at that moment, you know? We didn't even get the, we didn't cover the resolution of that because that volume wasn't out yet. Yeah. uh, In English. So that was quite the cliffhanger, quite (laughs) to laying on. So yeah, we should definitely follow back on that. Uh, We'll we'll get to that at some point. But yes, Tokyo Avengers will be ending very, very soon. I'm very much looking forward to hearing what people think about the ending. Absolutely. Speaking of other things that have kind of been available as like kind of digital releases or simulpubs recently, we've got Gender of Mona Lisa. That's also coming to its end with its 10th volume in December 12th. This has been available on Manga, but it's been one that I've been curious, interested in reading up on because of its exploration of gender identity in its world. So I think this is one that when the last couple chapters come up, I might go back to using the Manga Up app, which I have not touched since we talked about it to just catch up on the series. And then a series that's been available on Crunchyroll Manga for a while, One Room of Happiness, that's also ending in December with its 11th volume. The final one of that is going to ship December 21st. And yeah, this is a story about like a girl and her kidnapper and kind of like the sort of Stockholm relationship she has with it. And it's kind of like has this maybe problematic like age gap thing of like Shoji in love with him and stuff like that. But this is a title that's been kind of available on Crunchyroll Manga for a while. And it's been one that I have been curious in because the art is intriguing and it deals with some interesting psychological things. But yeah, it's also a series that's been fraught with criticism because it actually had a TV series, a live action series that got canceled because it was criticized for portraying like real life kidnapping in a positive light. But that didn't really affect, I guess, the publication of the manga. So it's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, I mean, I'm curious how it really does handle that subject matter. But moving on to Shueisha Jump things that are ending, Kaguya-sama, you know, we've been talking about, oh, it's coming to an end uh, in a couple of different news episodes past couple of months, but it is now finally over. It ended as of November 2nd, final chapter came out then in Young Jump, and yeah. It has been one of the biggest romance manga of the past couple of years, like just absolutely beloved series. And I've, of course, enjoyed what I've read, watched of it. I definitely intend to catch up. You know, certainly it being in the jump vault uh, helps with that. But uh, yeah, the final volume's out. We'll probably get it in English in about a year or so. So yeah. And of course, you know, Akagasaka is uh, still trucking on with their other works like Oshinoko. So yeah, still, you know, a lot of works from them to enjoy. But yeah, Kagesama over. And I'm sure like uh, a lot of my friends over the WMR Discord in particular who just absolutely love the series are a little sad about that. But hey, you know. It's a big, lengthy series that gave a lot of great, wonderful, funny times to enjoy. 
It is great. Which same cannot be said of the, the, the recent canceled Weekly Shonen Jump series, the recent pair of those. Uh, certainly not run for a long time, nor offering too many interesting memories, fun memories to enjoy. That's right. Both Super Smartphone and Aliens Area have ended. And yeah, um, I don't have a whole lot to say because I unfortunately haven't been keeping well, up. <laughs> so my feelings on Super Smartphone's ending is like, it just stops at a point where there are revelations, you know, they kind of have a revelation about, oh, this is what or who the phone is. And then there's kind of like, oh, there's a big kind of revelation about how this game should be played. But they don't like stop kind of the big antagonist that they kind of were focusing on having this mind game with for most of the run of the story. Like he's still at large, essentially, at the end of uh, the manga. We've learned more about him and his motivations, uh, but like, you know, he's still in the game essentially and you know the but i guess he's got like more of a friend group and whatnot but yeah it's it's like it doesn't have come to any real conclusive point other than like a revelation of like oh there was a secret behind this phone a secret behind the disappearance of his brother are they connected well they are connected uh, okay and it's in a way that we did speculate i think on our original discussion but i won't completely spoil it here with Aliens Area, it also just had to really, like, rush to an ending. <laughs> like, it was setting up this big, like, confrontation between, like, uh, the Section 5, the Alien Division, and then, like, this terrorist group that hates aliens. Like, they set up all these other divisions that are part of, like, the team that, like, is in charge of, like, managing aliens and whatnot. All these other, like, captain-type characters. And, like, they spend chapters, like, having a boardroom meeting of, like, them talking about what they're gonna do. <laughs> And when we actually get to see what is being done, uh, it doesn't. None of those other characters matter. <laughs> Only our main team of main characters matter. Uh, and even then, of those team of main characters, it, it's of course only our main two leads who really do anything of substance. And they didn't bring back like that assassin guy from the early chapters, uh, like the guy who claimed to be like the best assassin in the world. That of course uh, they meet very easily. They get him to come back to fight a guy for like a third of a chapter. And it's like, we don't even, why did we even set up this conflict? <laughs> like, this is not satisfying. This character has literally nothing more to do. Uh, why bring even bother bringing them back? Other than, oh, I think that the author got the notice that their series is going to get canceled a little too late to change the storyboards for that particular chapter in story development. So they have to be like, uh, okay, I got to really figure out how to wrap this up in three chapters. And yeah, of course, like the series has to end without really any like big conflict or confrontation because like the, the villain basically has to give up and explain why he did what he did, <laughs> you know, and this is also get you to sympathize with him a little bit, or at least try to, even though he like murdered like an innocent person and a lot of innocent people just a couple chapters ago. So it's like, well, I don't know about that, but you're supposed to buy the moment where he gets saved and it's an act of heroism on our protagonist's part. Boy, Aliens Area sounds like a huge mess from what you're telling me. Uh, it definitely was not helped by the fact that it was starting this story arc, a longer story arc, and dragged its feet. And by the time it was actually getting going with it, they got the notice that, oh, actually, you're getting canceled in three chapters. So that completely derailed, like, whatever 
plans, ambitions that the author Nava was trying to go for this. And they had to like really figure out a way to just end it as quickly as possible while still expositing kind of what they needed to and trying to find a way to at least have the ending feel like it is conclusive and or at least encapsulates kind of some sort of finality and like the expression of the heroism of the main character. You know, that like having the big hearing moment of like he's so upset at this guy who's murdered all these people and like wants to bring the justice and this guy like is basically about to commit suicide and he rescues him and it's this big act of heroism so justice can be served later and that even impresses the villain to the point that he kind of like laughs and tears up about it and yeah so it's like I will say at least the execution at that moment, I appreciated what it was going for. But like, obviously, I just feel bad that the author really had to like truncate their plans. And of course, the story is left really unfinished and unsatisfying in that way. And you know, the most interesting thing is that in like the message at the end of the last chapter, like little tag, it doesn't just say the end. It says read more in the graphic novel release. Like, huh. and it's like, oh, wow. I'd never seen like the Simo pub really make that note. But that kind of definitely indicates, oh, well, I guess definitely more story is going to be told in the graphic novels. So at least they'll get some more chapters for wrap up there. But I don't know if that's necessarily a statement of commitment on business part. They're going to do the graphic novel releases, but I think they are kind of actually obligated to probably do volume releases for all the sign of books they do now so they're probably at least going to do like digital releases or whatever probably not print releases yeah i mean I, that's a given that is really interesting because i yeah you're right i don't think we've seen that with any other series before but i'm also not that surprised that like they would commit to that because that's what they've been doing lately anyway yeah i feel like that has some sort of obligation contractual thing between them and uh, Shueisha or whatnot that they hey you put out the volume releases of this even if it's only digital I mean look I'm glad they're doing that because we talked about this before but there was a point where like it was really hard to read some of these unless you had like a full jump magazine run of them so we're, we're in a better place with that I think comparatively but yeah that's really interesting I didn't I didn't know about that yeah aliens area if, it's so weird because it, it, it literally feels like the series started like a yesterday. Like th- this really felt like it came and went. Yeah. I mean, it ended with chapter 20. So it only came out, you know, five months ago. God, right? yeah. So it, it, very quick, uh, relative like to other series that have been ended recently. Right. So like this is kind of like the shortest conclusion cancellation that you've gotten in a little bit of time. Because even Super Star Foreign lasted like a month and a half longer. So... I'm really interested in, like, how much more bonus content we're going to get in the digital releases eventually, though. Yeah, I guess it really depends on how much space they allot. It's short enough that it could just be a two-volume work, but if they're really going to do a lot of bonus chapters, I could see it being three volumes, and a lot of the third volume is bonus chapters to just conclude the story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that these canceled series are at least getting an opportunity to, like, have more room to kind of have a more satisfying ending, potentially. I'm glad these series are getting more opportunities like that. I, I do appreciate that, but I-, I guess we'll see if it works out for them in the end. Yeah. Again, it's a real shame when an author cannot, like, execute the vision and has to, like, change their plans to, like, try and reach a conclusion at a point where it's, like, so untenable. But, you know, I will say, actually, that, you know, I I liked Aliens Area for the most part. Uh, I liked particularly kind of the middle chapters of the series where, like, we were kind of just getting to know the team and it was kind of more slice of lifey chapters. And it was, like, more focused not on, like, kind of the battle aspect of it, but it was just focused on, hey, here are the situations 
situations where they're kind of learning to be observant then not make assumptions of people and help people. And that's the best way to do a story about people who are basically cops and law enforcement or whatever. It's like actually being reasonable and thinking about like, oh, well, you know, here's how you de-escalate a situation instead of like immediately jump to assumptions and violence. So I appreciated that. Yeah, actual cops take note. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like I said, I haven't unfortunately been keeping up with it. But I do remember when we like first covered this a few months back that like, you know, I, I don't remember this setting my world on fire or anything. But I do remember like thinking like, oh, this has potential. And like, I at least really like the art for this, you know, like th- there was something there. Yeah, I remember I was not super enthusiastic about this one, but it did grow on me more after the first couple chapters. So I was like a little sad to see, oh man, it's too bad you couldn't fully execute on this thing. Though it was losing me and when it introduced all these other captain characters and we had like chapter about like them talking about hey uh, I'm trying to convince you to do this thing and then we'll go do this thing it's like you're trying to expand your cast too fast when it's like you know focus on the characters you just spent time developing and then have them now that we've gotten to know them a little better do this thing and we didn't need to expand this fast and you kind of wasted some valuable story space to do that yeah it's what it is you know it's hindsight is of course you know 2020 you don't really know when you made the right decision in your storytelling until like the time has passed and you're like oh man maybe that was not what i should spend the time on but it is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah for sure but yeah as two series have left weekly shonen jump and have included in the shonen jump app two new series have started up in the shonen jump app to take their place though they're both naruto spin-offs so you know if you are really in a naruto mood you do have two new ongoing naruto manga to enjoy and those are both adaptations of some of the Naruto novels. So first we've got Naruto Sasuke's story. The original story is by Kishimoto and Jun Isaka and art for the series by Shingo Kimura. And we've got Naruto Konoha's story, The Steam Ninja Scrolls. The original story was by Kishimoto and Shohinata and the arts by Natsu Asai. And so I'll start with the Sasuke story. I have read these or I am familiar with these. So with Sasuke's story, the basic premise is that Naruto is kind of suffering from an illness that once affected the Sage of Six Pats. But the Sage of Six Pats was said to have been able to find a cure for that illness in this place called Radaku, which is kind of a remote country that's kind of isolated from the rest of the ninja world, from a lot of other countries. It's a very remote area that's not a lot of people know much about it outside of Radaku. In Radaku, there seems to be like some mysterious happenings going on at this weird observation Observatory, which is also basically a forced prison labor camp. And so Sasuke feels like, oh, well, I might find like an answer to curing Naruto's illness if I infiltrate this observatory because he learns from someone that there's like this book that is like a history book that had information. And then there was also like a bit about the stages it paths, like some information in the observatory. So he infiltrates the observatory as a prisoner. And then at the observatory, there's a lot of mysterious things going 
going on. Like, no one really knows what they're working to do. Uh, the director is clearly very suspicious. Like, he's seemingly kind, but he's also obviously very cool in trapping people there. And he's kind of seen through Sasuke immediately. And then guarding the prison, rending anyone to escape. You know, obviously it's like in a remote area where there's a bunch of walls and stuff. But, like, it's not just a difficult place to escape from location. Also, like, there's, like, a, a dinosaur, a raptor called Menno that prowls the premises that is under the director of the observatory's control that basically like attacks anyone who tries to escape and so yeah obviously there's some very suspicious thing going on in this observatory and Sasuke is now like there to find more information on the stage of six paths but also like figure out what's going on what's this director of this observatory trying to do what are this prison camp really for what is little with this dinosaur thing you know so uh, it's it's got a good setup we got a good intrigue for like mysteries to be solved uh and like it's fun to have like dinosaur <laughs> like a raptor type monster like in the naruto world that's like a trek sasuke you know i'm probably going to have to fight that at some point and it's a good showcase for sasuke like as a character too like there's a good sequence where he like kind of uses his sharingan and Rinnegan in a clever way to like confuse some thieves and capture them so you know he, he gets to look pretty cool and yeah I, i've been enjoying it and i'm curious to see how it develops along uh, the second story naruto Konoha's story actually was adapted into Boruto. This was a couple episodes of the Boruto anime already a couple years ago and I watched that. I really enjoyed it because it's actually about Asuma's daughter Mirai who is tasked with like escorting Kakashi and Guy to like some hot springs and she's like exasperated with them because obviously they share her impression of them as like oh they're legendary shinobi and Wadon and she has respect for them but obviously they act like total goofballs and irresponsible and then along the journey she keeps encountering like just ridiculous situations with a lot of the other characters but it's also like a way for her to try and kind of get to know her dad better because obviously Asuma died when she was very young she's traveling alongside two people who knew him well so she's trying to learn more about him there and then of course as the journey continues she starts to encounter a part of Asuma's past that uh, comes back in a surprising way in the towards the conclusion of the arc so it's a really fun sweet little story and I like the dynamic between Mirai and Kakashi and Guy. And yeah, I am looking forward to reading the manga version of it because it is being lettered by Brandon and it's edited by Ray. So, you know, some folks who I love seeing their work on stuff getting a chance to work on a piece of the Naruto world. And this is like Brandon's first time uh, lettering a Naruto thing and he was very excited for it. So, you know, reading through the first chapter, he's done a really great job. But yeah, so I really enjoy the first chapters of both of these spinoffs. I already know how the Steam Ninja Scroll story turns out because I watched the anime versions. So I'm looking forward to revisiting that for the manga. And yeah, if you're like a Naruto fan and just want to see like stories about characters besides Naruto and kind of different stories from what you got in like the main anime that are like more focused on kind of developing mysteries or like kind of a slice to life kind of adventure in the case of the Steam Ninja Scrolls one. Uh, definitely check these out. They're, they're fun little character showcases and have some really interesting stories that I think are pretty additive to the Naruto world in terms of expanding on some lore and characterizing some people who don't get focus as much uh, in the main story, at least in the, the Steven just scrolls one especially. Mm, hopefully one day when I actually get around to finishing Naruto, I, I would like to check these out. Yeah, I think they have been very enjoyable. 
But yeah, we we actually do have like a lot of other jump app stuff to talk about, kind of help us like transition out of serialization kind of into like licensing stuff. Because this next story is kind of in the middle because Hunter Hunter has come back. New chapters are coming out weekly. It's great to see Hunter Hunter come back. And not only that, it is being cyberpubbed and you can read all of Hunter Hunter finally in the Shonen Jump app. It's finally happened. Ah. Yeah, I'm glad they finally figured it out and made it work just in time for Hunter Hunter coming back. It would have been real shame if, like, Takashi were to resume it, but he still refused to have it be available in the vault. So I'm glad they were able to negotiate whatever was keeping it from being available so people can catch up on the series, uh, refresh themselves on the Dark Conan arc, because it's been a few years, like three years, and uh, get into it. So that's that's been pretty good. And yeah, great to have on her back. Like, it's been enjoyable, like the first chapter upon its return. I mean, now it's not focusing on any of the characters really know very well. It's focusing on characters who were really introduced in the chapter that came out right before the hiatus. But they're an interesting group. Uh, there's interesting powers at play. And of course, like mind games between different warring factions. So yeah, it's all fun so far. Uh, it's a cool thing to have your first chapter back, like, not feature any of like your main main characters you know uh, Gon and <laughs> Yusuke are on the color page for the chapter but it's like well Gon has not been in the series for 30 chapters and uh, I mean you're not <laughs> expecting a Yu Yu Hakusho crossover anytime soon but not even Karapika is in the chapter and I don't know when he's coming back so I don't know but it's you know again that's the pillow hunter part of the pillow hunter, hunter is that there's so many different factions and uh, storylines going on all at once and that's especially been true of the dark continent in arc so yeah i'm interested to follow along the ride it really says something about how good hunter hunter is when like you don't have to focus on literally any of your main characters and it can still be engaging yeah you can literally focus on characters who were introduced the chapter prior a chapter that was released three years ago <laughs> that it still is interesting to read. God. Um, and also it is, I mean, I, I know that color page is probably to promote like his exhibition over in Japan. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but it is really funny to see Yusuke on the color page and it being like, oh, well, you can't really read Yu Yu Hakusho on the jump app still. <laughs> yeah. It was funny in the Manga Machination Discord, like someone posted the color page and when I was like, oh man, do I need to read Hunter Hunter now? And then Dakazu was like, no. <laughs> They are, the Mongmat crew, not big fans of the Hunter Hunter, but no, it's understandable. It is a lot to take in, but uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad to have it back because it's always an interesting read. Well, almost always. Sometimes it can be get a little too down in its exposition. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, right now it's focused more on like kind of mind game stuff and action things. So it's it's fun. It's just good to have Hunter Hunter back for, for however long. Yeah. I mean, we know we got 10 chapters complete from Takashi that he's planning to do this round. He's already worked on, starting work on the next 10. So yeah, I mean, even if there's a break after chapter 400, I'm excited to see the ride to chapter 400. Oh, for sure, for sure. But yes, there are other things in the Jump app that have been added, such as Thus Spoke Kishibe Rohan. I believe the first volume of that has been added to the Jump app, so you can read that. I haven't read it myself, but I've heard very, very good things, and I would like to check it out at some point. I, I mean, I love JoJo, so there's no way I can't, so. Yeah, if you want, again, <laughs> Rohan's JoJo-less Bizarre Adventures, it is a real treat just to have Rohan in the spotlight mm -hmm. and him like, kind of navigate these like mini mystery stories. This is what that Netflix anime is based on, right? Yeah, no, the Rohan series, yeah, it is the basis for the Netflix adaptation and the live-action drama. 
that you can watch on uh, Asian Crush, which is also really good, but also even more diverse from JoJo because they don't even like mention stands in that series. So it's, it's an interesting take of like, oh, adapting this part of the JoJo world, but kind of like removing some of the JoJo concepts from it. But it's still very interesting and engaging because of just the core mysteries and the character of Rohan. Mm. Okay, okay. I'll definitely have to read that then. But yes, speaking of Netflix, Romantic Killer has been added to the Jump Vault and is started up on Manga Plus. And so, yeah, I mean, if you've checked out the Romantic Killer anime, you'll probably want to check out the manga. I, I kind of flipped through it a bit. It, it seems interesting. I don't know if I like heard this before, if I just forgot, but I didn't know it was like in full color. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, it's cool. It's a full color comic. And this is an interesting addition to the Jump app because this is a Jump Plus title, but Viz licensed this under the Shoujo Beat imprint. And when that happened, people were like super upset. But like, why are you releasing the Shonen title under the Shoujo Beat imprint? And then now they're putting it in the Jump app. And it's like, what are you trying to say to Shoujo fans here who are like wanting you to license all these different Shoujo manga? But then you're like licensing this Shonen manga and trying to pass it off as, hey, this is for you, Shoujo fans. But then, like, no, here's it is in the the app, and like, also a lot of Trojan fans are just not really happy with the series because it is very much like kind of a, about a protagonist, like very much not like other girls type who is like, oh, I'm not into romance or hot guys or all these other things. Normal girls are. I like my games and my stuffed animals, cats, whatnot, and I'm not interested in like this love stuff like most other girls. And it's like I saw a lot of people are like, this is talking down to like people who are into these things who are like actual shoujo fans that is really weird it is kind of like an odd choice to market this series as a shoujo beat title for the shoujo beat audience when it almost feels like it is talking down to them in areas and i mean i don't have like harsh criticisms too much about the series from what i heard of it but i do feel like yeah it is very much like a not like other girls type of heroin and execution that is like kind of eye rolly like i think it's ultimately like a harmless version of that but it is like so lame and like how it kind of thinks of these kind of things and it's also like why would you license this under shoujo beat when it is a shonen jump thing and you're going to put it on the shonen jump app anyway and it's such a strange thing that choice that they made that i know really strained a lot of shoujo fans fate and trust in viz in particular because there's been a lot of frustrations with viz over how they've been treating and licensing shoujo titles people have been saying they're not licensing enough and they're licensing too many things that are like a decade old and they're not focusing on the new things and it's really frustrating because shoujo beat is kind of like the shoujo imprint but it's felt like it's been stagnating so that's been a big conversation i also find like the manga plus edition interesting because manga plus is like adding chapters like a week at a time like on the Viz app, they have the entire first volume, but on Manga Plus, they only have the first chapter so far, and they're updating it with a new chapter every Tuesday. So that's just another interesting kind of difference in the availability of the series between both platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, look, I do feel sorry for shoujo fans because it really seems like they usually get like the short end of the stick quite a lot. Yeah. No, especially. Uh, this licensing decision especially made it feel like they were not being treated or taken as seriously, like what they wanted to see from the imprint. The entire decision behind like marketing this as a show should be title and then putting it on the jump app anyway, it's it's a very strange thing. Yeah, it's 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 really weird. I don't I don't really understand it either. Like it's like you said, there there's so much like shoujo they could look into licensing, but it's like, no, we're just gonna license this jump thing and just call it a shoujo thing. That's just, that's really weird. I don't get it. 
But still, I, I am really happy about all the additions to the Shonen Jump app thus far. I think I think these are really cool titles nonetheless. No, it's great to have like a lot of new series up and available to read. And yeah, again, especially with Hunter Hunter, such a big omission for so long. It's great to have it there. And we can only hope you have to show all a suit at some point. I really hope so. But yes, we're basically in our licensing news now, and uh, I guess we can keep going with Viz Media because uh, they did announce quite a few things that like I'm really excited for. Certain titles that like we've talked about on the show before, but are getting print releases that I'm really excited for, and I might as well get those out of the way because yes, they are bringing out Tatsuki Fujimoto's Goodbye Airy physically coming, you know, next summer. And suffice to say. I think it is genuinely like one of my favorite works from Tachiki Fujimoto so far. And that's saying a lot because like I really, really enjoy Chainsaw Man. But Goodbye Airy is honestly one of those things where like I don't really even want to talk about the plot of it because I think you should go into it as blind as possible. Just know that it is very good. And if you like Chainsaw Man and any of Fujimoto's works, you will like this. So please definitely go buy it. I know I will. Uh, next up, I'll also just briefly mention that uh, Akane Banashi from Yuki Suenaga and Takamasa Moe is also getting a print release. Akane Banashi, I have been recently been like trying to catch up on it. And I mean, it's just it's just so good. You know, ever since getting into stuff like Descending Stories, I've really been hankering for more like Rakugo manga or manga about Rakugo. And uh, this really, like, scratches that itch. And I'm just really glad that something like this runs in Shonen Jump, of all places. And I'm glad that it seems to have been doing well enough for Viz to take a chance on doing a print release for this. Like, I, I think that really says a lot about how well it's probably doing on the Jump app. Yeah, that's great, because it is an indication that the readership on the Jump app is really strong, really high. I mean, it's been selling very well over in Japan, too. So it's uh, been a breakout hit, and I'm very happy to see that, because, yeah, it is not a traditional title for Jump in terms of its focus, in terms of being like a manga about someone trying to make their career in Rakugo, and of course, starring like a dream protagonist. And I think that's, it's been such a pleasure to read. I am been keeping up to date with it. And yeah, I just continue to just feel so excited about it and so entertained by it. It's definitely like kind of my favorite thing to read right now in Jump. So I'm very happy for its success and I hope it continues for a long time. For sure. Like, I genuinely was not expecting this to, like, I didn't think it was going to do bad, but, like, I honestly didn't know whether it was going to have, like, much of an audience over here. But, again, it seems to be doing well, well enough to get a print release, and honestly, I'm probably going to pick this up. I really want this to succeed. So, uh, yes, Akane Banashi, once again, coming out next summer. Also coming out next summer is a manga that I had seen people kind of, like, talk about around online and, like, was really, really hoping it would get picked up at some point and now it finally has with spider-man fake red from yusuke osawa and the synopsis for this reads an awkward teenager puts on spider-man's suit but quickly learns that being a hero isn't all glamour and social media likes and yeah from what i understand it, it is about like a random kid who like just kind of becomes spider-man and has to like learn what that's like and that's kind of like all i know about it but like i remember like seeing people post art and pages from this and thinking like oh this looks really cool like i've always wanted to check out japanese spider-man comics i know there isn't like a whole lot out there but like the very few that do exist i've always wanted to read and i'm i'm really glad that i'm gonna have a chance to read one of the newer ones in general i love spider-man he's probably my favorite superhero and i'm definitely gonna pick this up i really want to check this out mm, for sure actually viz made a lot of like Marvel manga announcements that were pretty interesting. So yeah, this is one of the most intriguing ones for sure. But yeah, a lot of interesting manga Marvel stuff 
for yeah for viz coming out soon yeah i'm generally interested in like a lot of the you know marvel manga stuff from viz in general like a lot of that seems really really interesting and i would like to check out more of those as well uh but that's about all from viz that i wanted to talk about for now we're going to move on to seven c's who have also had their share of licenses recently the first one i'll get out of the way something that uh, at the time of this recording was just announced like very recently with the second classic manga collection of lupon the third thick as thieves in case you don't know we did do an episode on seven seas's recent greatest heist collection that came out a little earlier in the year it was a very fun discussion with dr foxy and uh shannon and yeah i think we were talking on that episode like oh man it'd be really cool if like the second edition of this got picked up and i'm assuming that first one did pretty well for seven seas because obviously they, they picked up the second collection and i'm really really excited to pick it up and maybe we'll do another episode on lupon we'll see i'd like to but we'll, we'll see we'll see i think that'd be cool yep check back in july 2023 for sure for sure um but still I'm just really glad that we're getting more Lupin the Third manga, and I hope that as long as Japan keeps putting out these classic collections, that we'll keep getting more of them. Absolutely. I was very pleased with this announcement, and hope they keep them coming. For sure. But yes, that is coming out on July 2023, so look out for that. I'm definitely picking up my copy. Uh, the other Seven Seas title I really want to mention is My Stepmother and Stepsisters Aren't Wicked by Otsuji. That'll be coming out on May 2023, in which Mia is the illegitimate child of a prominent family. When her mother dies and her father's state agrees to take her in, she's convinced she knows what awaits her in her new home, a life of servitude and misery at the hands of her wicked stepmother and stepsisters. Yet when she finally meets the women she expects to treat her like dirt, they actually end up being sweet? A hilarious and heartfelt comedy that's sure to put a smile on your face. So another classic title about a misdirection take on a classic fairy tale story. I really want to see the comedic potential of this. Uh, I think this sounds like it could be pretty funny. And then uh, next up, I want to move on to Jane Novel Club and talk about The Coppersmith's Bride by Namo, which I believe this is already available, uh, in which Sheena, a freshman in college, is enjoying a cozy life in Niigata Prefecture dating her coppersmith boyfriend, Shu. She's grown used to the rhythmic sound of his hammer, inwardly dubbing him the smithing nut. For his obsession with hunkering down in the workshop, even on his off days, what she's not ready for is a sudden proposal out of nowhere. Barely out of high school, is she ready for the next step? And more importantly, can she really hack marrying into a prestigious smithing family? Uh, so this sounds like it could be like a pretty cute sort of slice of life rom-com thing uh, about a guy who's into a very like specific career path. I think this just sounds really cute and I wouldn't mind checking it out. And then uh, the last few titles I want to talk about are actually from Tokyo Pop because Tokyo Pop also recently announced like a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff, which is like both exciting and also a little mixed feelings Eve because uh, it's pop Tokyo Pop, but uh, these are these are really interesting. Dang. <sighs> yeah, look, I don't always feel that great about supporting Tokyo Pop, but if they license genuinely interesting titles then, you know, I don't mind talking about them. Uh, but still, it is Tokyo Pops. Just just keep that in mind. You never know what could happen. Uh, but anyway, the first one I want to talk about, uh, we were talking about uh, Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer earlier. This is a series from Satoshi Mizukami entitled Sengoku Yoko. This will be coming out digitally on December 9th of this year, and will be coming out in print April 11th next year, in which the world is divided into two factions, humans and monsters called Katawara. Despite being a Katawara, Tama loves humans and vows to protect them from evil, even if it means fighting her own kind. Her brother Jinka, however, hates humans, despite mostly being one. 
The siblings are joined by a cowardly swordsman named Shinsuke, who wants to learn how to become strong. When the group uncovers a plot to experiment on humans and transform them into monsters, they vow to defeat whoever is behind it, even if it means battling an entire army of warriors. The people they meet, places they see, and creatures they battle will be legendary. And so, yeah, you know, admittedly, I haven't read as much of Mizukami's work as I would like to, but I do like Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer a lot enough to where, like, I definitely want to get more into Mizukami's works at some point. And, you know, this sounds like it could be a pretty, like, cool, epic story. And, uh, I mean, Mizukami's comics are good enough to where, like, I'll pretty much read anything he does, so... And then next up, we have My Dear Agent from Ebino Bisque. Uh, this will be coming out digitally on January 6th and will be coming out in print on May 23rd, in which a professional bodyguard Ricci is employed to protect the son of the leader of a large conglomerate and takes his worth incredibly seriously. One day, he's tasked with coaching Tachibana, a rookie new hire who unfortunately has no money and no place to go. Opening his home to the new employees, Ricci is taken aback by Tachibana's brashness and his endless flirting. Just who is this mysterious new co-worker and what's his problem? So this sounds like this could be like a fun BL comic with the sort of interesting dynamic of like these two bodyguards and whatnot, these two big burly men kind of having a thing with each other. Sounds like the kind of thing I could be into, actually. And then uh, last but not least, we have Ogi's Summer Break by Koikawa, which will be coming out digitally on January 6th, uh, with a print edition coming out on May 16th, in which on the first day of summer vacation, Haruto Ogi fell in love with legally blind Shinya Tago. Although they connected immediately, Tago was at first utterly unaware that Ogi had fallen for him. For once, Ogi felt comfortable fully being himself. If his crush can't see him, then he's safe from being judged. A sweet love story about overcoming differences and accepting yourself for who you truly are. And yeah, this sounds like this could be a really, really sweet story about a guy who obviously, like the synopsis says, you know, maybe starts a relationship with someone who's blind because they're not very confident in themselves. But maybe hopefully they can um, they can learn to overcome that by the end of the story. Sounds like something that could be really, really sweet, hopefully. But that's really kind of about it for my licenses. Overall, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff to look forward to. And Lum, I know you probably have some even more cool stuff to look forward to. There was a lot announced and a lot that I am excited about. Actually, we'll continue talking about Tokyo Pop titles because, yeah, I mean, they announced a lot of things I'm really interested in, especially when it comes to kind of queer manga. And starting off, they licensed If My Favorite Pop Idol Made It to the Budokan, I Would Die. This comes from Ari Hirao. It's going to come out in digital January print on June 13th. And it's about like this girl who like is this huge fan of this one particular idol in this idol group. And the person that she's a big fan of is actually the least popular member of that group. But that doesn't deter her. Like she spends so much of her money on supporting this idol that she only has a single outfit of her own. But her love for her doesn't waver. And even though she may never be noticed for it, she still wants to support her fave. And this is a series that got adapted into an anime of years to back and I really enjoyed what I saw of it then and from what I heard of how it turns out yeah it's just a interesting story about like kind of this adult idol fan who's a big fan of like this struggling idol and do end up 
getting some sort of relationship that still has to navigate kind of boundaries of like, you know, what is too parasocial? What is like the right boundaries between fan and the person they're a fan of? And also kind of, you know, forming kind of a genuine connection with them and whether that is a right thing or not. And also like, it's interesting because there are a few other protagonists kind of like the only or like rather, she is like pretty alone as being like a female fan of this idol group in general, like all her like main friends are like old dudes. So she also is kind of alone in that way and it's kind of interesting so it is a like yuri manga about like kind of this idol fan and the idol she analyzes uh, she supports like yeah just how they end up getting a connection and then just how the relationship kind of navigates kind of some tricky territory so yeah i really like this title from the anime so i'm very excited to read the manga version of it and then they license some really interesting nonfiction works they license Why I Adopted My Husband, the true story of a gay couple seeking legal recognition in Japan. This comes from Yuta Yagi. It's going to be released digitally February 3rd and in print on June 13th. It is the story about a gay couple who are living in Japan where gay marriage is not then legalized, but they found a unique loophole to live together and support one another financially, legally, and medically by way of adoption. One of the partners adopts the other. And so this is a non-fiction manga about how this couple met, started living together, talking with their parents and you know working through their anxieties as they try and fight for a future with each other and fight for equal rights under Japanese law and I think that's a super super fascinating story and I am really really intrigued to read more of it and I think the art style looks very cute as well from the cover so yeah very very curious also, in the realm of nonfiction autobiographical works, we have at 30, I realized I had no gender, life lessons from a 50 year old after two decades of self discovery. This is by Sho Arai. It's going to be released digitally February 10th and in print June 13th. It is about a person who, at the age of 30, realized that they had no gender. And they had to think about, well, what does aging look like for me in a society where everything is so strongly segregated between two genders, gender binary? And it's an autobiographical manga that explores looking at Japanese culture and the way it, you know, treats gender and transgender issues and just the day-to-day obstacles faced by gender minorities and LGBTQIA folks in a very lighthearted, comedic way and attitude. And yeah, I mean, that sounds really incredible. This person basically reflecting on 20 years, two decades after they came out as ex-gender or non-binary, and then thinking about like the life experience they've had in that time, trying to kind of navigate their identity in a space that is just so heavily entrenched in a gender binary, in gender segregation, greater male, female, like what does it look like? What does it mean to be neither of those things? And to just have no gender, not prescribed one gender. And I really, really fascinated, really interested to learn about their story, learn about their view of the Nine binary in Japan over the past few decades and their understanding and look at the broader community for LGBTQIA folks in Japan. And yeah, I mean, this is another like nonfiction queer manga that is just like really, really sounding up my alley and of great interest to me. And I'm just so happy to see like 
really interesting autobiographical works continue to be published. And Togepop is not the only publisher that is putting them out because Viz is also publishing an autobiographical manga from a non-binary artist. And that's Until I Love Myself of the Journey of a Non-Binary Manga Artist by Poppy Petsuyama. And that's going to come out summer 2023, like around the same time as Show Arise manga. And this is a story about Poppy's, you know, personal experiences confronting their traumas, their experiences of gender dysphoria and workplace harassment. So it's focused more on kind of the fraught side of being non-binary, of coming out. You know, the cover definitely reflects that in kind of the cemented view we have of Poppy's body and their tear. So this one, in comparison to uh, Rai's work, this one seems to be a lot more focused on the heavier emotion side whereas Arise is kind of focused on like more of a whole optimistic side or at least like in terms of like how the copyrights it the attitude of the work is like it's lighthearted. Poppy's work looks to be a little heavier but still I'm glad to have again uh, different stories different autobiographical stories from non-binary artists uh, creators you know, telling their experiences and both the good experiences and feelings being out as yourself, but also the challenges and the hard times. I think it's really valuable to have both types of stories available. And I'm glad they're going to be out at the same time. And I am really looking forward to reading these. And this licensed, you know, a lot of other interesting titles as well that aren't necessarily queer manga related, but still have me of interest. One is Dark Gathering by Kenichi Kondo. And this is a title that I think is going to be of interest to Jump Square fans. It's probably going to be something added to the Jump app. But basically, the premise of this one is that it is about a person who's like an unwilling magnet for the supernatural and ghost hunting girl. They join forces to capture Japan's most terrifying spirits. You know, it's not too much to go on. And it could just be like another one of those like supernatural battle manga but the cover art the art of this looks very intriguing to me i really like the character design of the the pregnant on the cover with her like skull like pupils and like her little fox max kind of wrapped around her neck like as a necklace and the background like the space background with like the pink moon the sakura petals flying by the wind flowers like in the foreground it's like the art looks really really interesting and this is one also that i saw when the announcement was made maxi was intrigued and excited about so that also is promising to me and of course this license announcement is coming on the heels of an anime announcement for this title a few months ago so all those factors the art good word of mouth the fact that there is going to be an adaptation coming out for it soon it does have me really really intrigued so this is a title that caught my eye and i'm very curious to follow now we criticized viz for their conservative stance in their shoujo licenses and their kind of stranger decisions when it comes to licenses. However, I do think that two of their recent shoujo licenses are notable and good picks because they're five fairly notable creators and um, it's one of them is a very notable title that it's not surprising it's took a this long to license it. But the first of these I want to talk about is Like a Butterfly by Sumarshita. This is, of course, a title that is by, you know, the author of A Sign of Affection, which has been kind of, you know, ongoing from Kadansha. And also the author of Shortcake Cake, which I read and really enjoyed. And yeah, this is like an older work of theirs that Viz is getting around to licensing and releasing. The synopsis doesn't really tell you much. It's like kind of thinking about, well, 
Do you treat love like a flower or fly towards like a butterfly? Are you like waiting for love or are you going to be proactive in pursuing it? Are you going to let it split up away? And so that's kind of how the relationship between the two protagonists in this manga is described. Uh, but really what it's more directly about is about like the female protagonist is like the most beautiful girl in her school. And she's interested in this dude who is like a tough karate boy. But they just have like bad communication with each other. They're just not very good at getting their feelings across with each other. But yeah, I mean, again, this is like a, a little bit of an older work from Morishita, but I'm glad to see it come out because I do like their works. And yeah, I think that it has a fun or interesting premise and in like two characters trying to really figure out how to communicate how they feel to each other. Now, the next JoJo title that they announced that was a big notable title is Wolf Girl and Black Prince. Now, this title is about a girl who lies to her friends about, you know, having a boyfriend because she, you know, wanted to make friends. And so she tried to be popular by saying, oh, she had a boyfriend. And she just showed a picture of like some random guy to pass it off as her boyfriend in front of people. But she was unaware that that guy is her schoolmate and was like recognized by her friends. And the conversation about him being her boyfriend was overheard by him. And so she tries to de-escalate the situation and try to cool things over by like trying to get him to go along with like faking being her boyfriend. But like he agrees to it on the condition that he has to like act as her his dog basically so you know even though he seems like like oh handsome charming person on the surface he actually has kind of a twisted darker side to his personality that's why he's called like the black prince and then it's kind of like a manga where like in the beginning of the series and which is what a lot of people know from the anime uh it's like it's kind of a more of a, a tumultuous relationship that you can read it as like him being very manipulative of her and mean to her. But from what I've heard from people who, you know, are big Shoji fans, whose opinions I trust, how their relationship develops uh, as the story goes on becomes really interesting and much more compelling. So like kind of the, the more problematic nature of like some of their early uh, relationship stuff where he has like this power dynamic over her is like kind of mitigated as it goes along. So it's one that I have my eye out for. Now, if nothing else, I know people who are into pet play, so I can recommend this to them. So there is that. And then in terms of other like classic shoujo manga, we're moving on to Seven Seas, who have licensed a Shinobu Amano's last game. And this is coming in physical May 2023, as well as digital. And this is about, you know, a person who was like a rich and spoiled brat, uh, who at the same time excelled in his studies in sports. And then he suffered a setback when he encountered like this girl who was from a poor family as she transferred into his school and was like better at academics in school and athletics than her at every turn. And so he wanted to make this girl lose. And he decided the way to do that is to make her lose her heart to him, which then he could break. And that would be how he like get one up on her. But, uh, you know, he met this girl in elementary school and now they're in college. So is he finally going to win this girl's affections or is he going to lose this game after so long? So again, it's just another like Kaguya-sama type series where it's like kind of these characters kind of playing mind games with each other's feelings, like trying to be a little obstinate about the fact that they do love each other. They do care about each other, but they are treating us like this thing. They have to win. They have to win <laughs> the affections of the other person, make them kind of admit submit defeat in being the person who confess and admit their feelings first this is one i've heard from reputation for a long time as one that people really really like and again this is a bit of an older one this is from 2011 to 2016 but again it's great that we're kind of going back 
to getting some of these like older shoujo works, at least works that are about a decade old at this point, and finally putting them out. And I'm glad to see that. And this one I'm particularly intrigued by. And Seven Seas has a few other titles that caught my eye. One is A Story of Seven Lives by Gin Shirakawa. This is going to come out as a single omnibus volume in May 2023. And uh, this is a fan for all you cat lovers. It's about like countless stray cats scrounging, struggling to survive on the mean streets of Tokyo. Our protagonist now is one of them. He was a house cat, but after a little bit of tragedy, he had to make it on his own. And he relies on his fellow stray cat for help. But then some people start feeding the strays in the neighborhood. And now, is cautious but starts to bond with them and the humans have issues of their own. Their brother and sister went of Spaz's house and so now it tries to help them heal and in the process uh, perhaps finds a new home. So it's a heart-tucking tale of family survival. It seems like kind of a sweet therapeutically above like this cat like helping kind of these two troubled siblings kind of mend some wounds uh, and become a stronger family and form a happier home. I think that's really sweet. So we're in the same vein, well, kind of a different direction, but it's in the same vein of like helping each other kind of like heal emotionally or something. Seven Seas is licensed the title The Great Snake's Bride from Fushiashi Kumo. And this is coming out digitally and physically in July 2023. And it's about like this unlucky girl who lives in this village and has been offered as this tribute to this giant snake god up in this mountain to be the snake god's bride. And she was afraid that the snake would like devour her whole. But like once she's taken in by the god, he treats her like a wife. So she is soothed by his flicking tongue and gentle words and his powerful slurring body wraps around hers in embrace. And uh, the god is much kinder than his monster's form implies. So this Mio might actually learn to appreciate the non-human form his love takes and what does it mean to be the bride of the beast? So this is kind of like, you know, in the same way of something like Ancient Magus' Bride, kind of like this lonely, emotionally fractured woman is kind of resigned herself that she's going to be like sacrificed, going to be used up by a monstrous person who has like bought her. But like she realizes that the person who's bought her might be more a person who has like kind of taken her under a wing is actually much more human than maybe some of the people she had experienced in her lives. And there's like, a much kinder nuanced soul to them behind their persona and the fun thing about this and this is for you monster lover fans is like i mean this guy is a little snake he's not a humanoid snake he's just a giant snake so yeah if you're into that yeah i mean they're not kidding about like his slithering body wrapping around hers (laughs) because it's literally it's a giant snake that's coiling around her she it's like three times her size at least so i just thought that premise was interesting in terms of what it's for emotionally but also just conceptually i thought it was amusing that it's literally this woman form a relationship with like this giant snake god creature i definitely know people who'd be into this the final title to bring us back to uh, queer work is Delinquent Daddy and Tender Teacher by Tom Mizuki. This will come out usually in print August 2023. And this is about like a guy who is a very studious person in high school. He had a secret crush on one of his guy friends who was like a friendly delinquent, but he never confessed his feelings. And years later, he's an anxious, responsible adult. And he's an elementary school teacher. And one of his young students is upset with his dad, who's like sloppy and not conformist. And it's 
turns out that dad was his old crush. And he learns that he has been struggling to raise his son as a single parent. And so he offers to help him out first as a teacher and then as a friend who, you know, can teach him how to clean and cook. And they go closer and his anxieties start to melt as he's welcomed by, you know, his grateful crush. And, you know, those old feelings he had, you know, they start to come up to the surface again. And what will become of them? This reminds me a lot of our dining table in terms of like kind of helping out a single father raising their child by cooking and then forming a relationship with them through that. And I think that, you know, that sounds like a very sweet premise and a very sweet type of love story. Again, like characters finding bondings through like helping each other out through activities like cooking. I think are always very relatable, personal connections to make for a love story. And I think that this definitely caught my eye. I'm definitely keen to read it because I like stories like Our Dining Table. And uh, I think I'll like this one a lot too. And that will do it for the licenses I wanted to highlight. But since we did kind of briefly mention them before, Wiz did license two other Marvel manga titles. And those are Marvel Comics Manga Tribute, which is basically a collection of 20 different comics from 20 different artists that takes on the Marvel Universe. Some of the artists include Yusuke Murata and Kamu Mishirahama. And the other Marvel manga they did was, uh, a license was Wolverine Snicked which is by Sigmohine of Blame, A Night of Sidonia fame, which is about Wolverine and Desolate Dimension. So yeah, if you're looking for more like manga takes on the Marvel Universe, those are also good ones to check out alongside the Spider-Man one. So those have to do with uh, licensing announcements. Let's get into some kind of miscellaneous pieces. You know, we talked a lot about Jump and how it's doing. Let's uh, talk, John, how the magazine is doing. So it turns out that the print version of Weekly Shonen Jump is kind of down to about 700,000 readers for every issue about the digital magazine, which complements the print circulation's current run of about 1.2 million close to 1.3 million copies as of right now this year. So overall, combined those together, you could say that Jump's circulation uh, is about 2 million combining digital and print. But then again, we don't really know how many people are subscribed to Boat. But, you know, it's still kind of a, a far cry from Jump's heyday, of course, when it was like at 6 million or whatnot back in the peak of the 90s. But it's kind of an interesting thing to think about that, like, the digital subscriptions to Jump are about half as much about the print subscriptions, but all together, that's still like, a you know, a third of the overall subscriptions to but that's uh, interesting to note because we also got a lot of Manga Plus statistics recently because Mo Miyama, the deputy editor-in-chief of uh, Jump Plus, wrote a like extensive note discussing user survey statistics for Manga Plus on Note.com in a thread. And so currently Manga Plus has exceeded 6 million monthly active users. And yeah, that's quite a lot of traffic it's getting. And works that receive big print numbers make the service even more attractive as time passes, of course. And so a lot of people actually do take their user surveys, like 100,000 people answered the user survey they put out like a couple of weeks ago. And then a lot of people in different languages, different countries. So, you know, there were people who responded uh, in English-speaking territory, Spanish, French, and Thai. And when it comes to, like, how many volumes of manga do Manga Plus users buy, the statistics seem to suggest that Manga Plus readers across a lot of different territories, generally the majority of them, do tend to buy, like, 10 
plus books monthly or whatever. And that's uh, quite surprising. And then when guarding the question of like whether readers have ever purchased digital manga, turns out that those statistics are like the majority have not in a quite surprising way when it comes to whether people purchase digital manga. I mean, like the only territory where that is a majority where users said that they do purchase digital manga and majority are like Thai readership. Uh, that was about 54% of respondents. But for most others, uh, they were like close to 90% do not buy digital manga, which is really surprising. Then like when regarding the question of whether readers use pirate sites and comparing that with an older survey, 90% of users confirmed that they use pirate sites. But that halved down from the, the last survey in terms of like the volume of people who said that. But yeah, that's interesting. Moyama believes that the development of Manga Plus has put some sites to stop their activity and has made readers like shift to legitimate ways of reading series. So that's a good benefit if has affected change in that way. And then asking why readers, you know, could still use pirate sites, uh, why they use them. The most frequent answer is that like, you know, there are many works still not available to read overseas. They recognize that this is a situation that's going to require further improvement. And yeah, that is like kind of the majority response in pretty much all territories that uh, took the survey. Users from different areas is like, yeah, it's because like works aren't available in their area. And then if translation quality was insufficient, most readers seem to deny that there is an issue. Uh. Which is not a great statistic in terms of like readers being able to discern differences in quality in like the works that they're reading, especially with all the ongoing conversations we've been having about like the focus on doing transitions as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible at the expense of the translators and localization staff. It's not a great statistic to have to support the jump plus editorial thing of like, oh, our approach is correct and is working. But alas, general readership seems to not have a problem with translations. Yeah, this just tells me that like, Either people don't care, they don't really know any better, or both. Because, like, most consumers really wouldn't notice this kind of thing, admittedly. But still, it is. It's disappointing. Yeah. And then when it comes to where people get their information about manga, uh, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, most popular sites, and what makes people read a new manga, people say the art or the genre of the series or the series having animated action are like kind of the biggest factors. All of those responses have kind of about an equal amount of percentage uh, as like kind of the leading reason why users discover or get into a manga. And then in terms of like age ranges, most of the respondents to the survey were in their 20s and then we got kind of the ranking of like the top countries using manga plus and the biggest territory is like you know we're gonna link this thread so you can look at all of them but like the biggest territories just to go for the top five are like usa is number one thailand's number two indonesia's number three france is number four and mexico is number five so those are like kind of the biggest places where manga plus is being used the most by readers and then in terms of like the most viewed works on Manga Plus of all time as of August 2022, the top 10 for that goes going from bottom top. At number 10 is Sakamoto Days. At number 9 is Kaiju number 8. Number 8 is Spy Family. Number 7 is Jujutsu Kaisen. Number 6 is Black Clover. Number 5 is Boruto. Number 4 is MHA. Number 3 is Chainsaw Man. Number 2 is Dragon Ball Super. And number 1 is One Piece. And I think most of those I would have guessed is like the big titles. I think some placements I'm a little surprised about. 
I am actually surprised, like, Dragon Ball Super is more trafficked than Chainsaw Man and MHA. But obviously, it's Dragon Ball, and it's, uh, you know, even in Dragon Ball Super, currently popular worldwide. But Sakamoto Days, I think, is a little surprising, I think. Uh, at number 10 is, I mean, it is an incredibly popular series, but yeah, I mean, it is one of the 10 most popular series we had at Manga Plus. So yeah, I mean, it just shows how much it's grown in such a short time. It's like less than two years old. Yeah, Sakamoto Days was kind of the one series in this list that like I was kind of surprised by because it's like, I, I don't I don't think of Sakamoto Days as like the big thing, I guess, compared to like everything else. But yeah, everything else on the list, I'm not that surprised by personally. Yeah, everything else, and especially as we cover like Book Scan and YTs, we know like these are very popular titles. Uh, but like Sakamoto Days is such a fresher title. It's like, wow, it's already top 10 of traffic's works on Manga Blast of all time. That's impressive. And uh, I wonder if it's probably will continue to grow uh, in the coming years and when anime inevitably comes. And then, yeah, like, basically the big takeaway is the manga market has been greatly growing overseas, and works from the Jump Plus app are receiving larger and larger royalties from international publishing distribution, and so more focus is put into overseas expansion in the future. So, yeah, it seems like Manga Plus has been growing and uh, has been doing pretty well for itself in traffic, so interesting results there. Uh, though, of course, you know, there has also been, like, conversation about, like, kind of how tough it is to be an artist for Jump Plus. Like, your page rate is, like, very low. Uh, you don't really get, like, pay raises until you read a certain threshold and views. So it's, like, a very difficult system in order to prosper in. So at the same time, well, it's great to see the growth of the platform in terms of, like, accessibility for fans. I think on the side of the artists, there's still a lot of work to be done to like make it a better system for them. Because, you know, when you have hits like Kaijun and Raiden Spy Family, that's great. But a lot of series on Jump Plus and Amanga Plus are not the biggest traffic things. Uh, and so their artists are still putting in as much hard work, but the rewards they're getting relative to that are not as strong. And it's a struggle. So it's a conversation that still needs to be had. But speaking of celebrating how well manga's doing, let's talk about some awards now. And Chainsaw Man has won the Harvey Award again for the second straight year in a row. And yeah, won Best Manga Award. And it's competing against Yuzosimi's Blood on the Tracks, Moon Yuki Kanashiro's Woodlock, Wataru Naratani's Cat Gamer, Yoshihara Suge's Earthflowers, and Tatsuendo's Spy Family. But yeah, Chainsaw Man got it again, second year in a row. Which, uh, you know, it's great for Chainsaw Man. Obviously, it is like Chainsaw Man's moment with the anime and stuff, but hopefully it does not, like, monopolize the Harvey Awards in the same way Ito monopolizes the Eisners. Junji Ito and Tatsuki Fujimoto taking over the Western manga industry. Yeah, yeah. So some cool things related to Toei Animation properties are happening lately. First is that the Heritage Auctions has announced that, you know, they're doing like this big uh, showcase auction for Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. It's been running from October 20th. It's going to go to November 17th. And at this auction, there's like over 200 lots, including trading cards, auction sales, and special printings of original Weekly Shonen Jump issues. So there's like copies of high grade uh, Viz released Dragon Ball copies in their database. And, you know, Dragon Ball's debut uh, Weekly Shonen Jump issues, rare promo cards. And yeah, so these are just a lot of cool little collectibles that are being sold this auction that is going towards proceeds to good causes so yeah you know if you're interested in like kind of looking at what they're having to offer definitely check that out 
But uh, in terms of more film-specific news, uh, Film Red has been a monster of a hit over in Japan. It's just about to come out here in North America, and I'm curious to see how the box office here is going to be, because in Japan, it has already surpassed Ponyo as the sixth highest-grossing anime film of all time. It is like the number ninth highest-grossing Japanese film of all time at the Japanese box office. It's responsible for Toei having its highest-grossing box office year ever. It accounts for like... 70% of its box office revenue for this first like two thirds of the year and so it is a huge huge part of that and you know obviously like also part of the box office stories there is like Dragon Ball Super Superhero but like One Piece Film Red is like just on a whole other league in terms of like how successful it has been and yeah I mean because of how successful it has been Toei's even had to revise their earnings forecast to be much higher than they even predicted when they first forecasted things for their fiscal year so yeah I mean Film Red huge huge hit in Japan biggest One Piece film ever they're doing special event stuff like commentary screenings by Goro Tanaguchi and Ichiro Oda over in Japan, which is pretty cool. I mean, I'd love to see that as like a bonus feature, like on the Blu-ray release Oh my god. (laughs) That would be amazing. I will be so upset if we don't get this at some point. Yeah, if they record in this, please subtitle this and attach it as a commentary track on the release over here. I would love to see, hear a commentary by Oda and Tanaguchi. Like, Oda doesn't do public stuff like this very often as far as I know, so like, I would actually pay really good money to listen to this. Yeah, I mean, heck, if they do it as a thing in theaters like they're doing in Japan, that ought to be cool, but we'll see how well the film does. But yeah, no, Film Red, a big hit. I'm very excited to see how it'll do here. But there are a lot of films coming to U.S. theaters like in the next coming weeks, which I'm excited about. First one of these is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. We mentioned it's coming to U.S. theaters in early December, December 6, 8, and 11. But in addition to that, even ahead of that, it's going to be in IMAX theaters in the U.S. on November 30th. So if you can get yourself to an IMAX screening, that'd be an amazing way to see it. I definitely hope there will be one in my area. Also coming out in early December will be the quintessential quintuplets movie. That'll come out both sub and dub on December 2nd. So yeah, like December uh, going to be a big time for new anime movies uh, being released here theatrically. So very, very cool. Hi, everybody. It's Colton. Uh, I'm just going to come in here to basically re-report on a piece of news that we had originally reported on on this episode, because originally it was being reported that uh, Disney Plus would be airing the anime adaptation of Tatami Time Machine Blues, which, for those who don't know, is the sequel to the Tatami Galaxy. But yes, that is originally what was being reported by Disney Plus in their, I guess, their streaming listings. But Tatami Time Machine Blues got taken off that list, I guess, and basically just ended up on Hulu. So basically, at the time of the release of this episode, uh, all six episodes of Tatami Time Machine Blues are available on Hulu in the States. It's seeming like the same thing is happening with this that uh, is happening for Bleach Thousand Year Blood War, where it's basically streaming on Hulu exclusively over in the States, while everywhere else it seems to be airing on Disney+. Plus. But yes, if you do live in the United States, you can watch the Tatami Time Machine Blues anime. So yeah, just wanted to basically come in here and re-record that piece of news, because again, when we originally recorded this episode, uh, we thought it was going to end up on Disney+, Plus, but uh, that is no longer the case. So if you were really looking forward to the sequel to Tatami Galaxy, it's out now, go watch it. Um, I still need to personally finish Tabi Galaxy. I liked what I've watched of it, but I've just never got back to watching it. I really need to finish that because, hey, I'm sure Time Machine Blues is pretty good, maybe. I don't know. 
I'm sure I have friends who could let me know. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, that is available on Hulu if you are in the States. Uh, and now back to the rest of our streaming news. Of course, you know, um, excitedly, much sooner than we were thinking, Stone Ocean's third and final part is going to be on Netflix December 1st. So we didn't have to wait as long between the first and second parts where we had that nine month wait. No, we're, we're getting this just after three months. And that's great. That's good. Yeah. And you know that a lot of animators have been working hard on it to make it as great as possible. So I am very excited to see like the conclusion of like the original JoJo story, like finally animated. And yeah, I'm so excited because this has some of my favorite parts in JoJo in this course. So it's going to be really exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to binging this soon. Yeah, but there's also a lot of stuff to look forward to in 2023 in terms of new anime. Of course, Trigon Stampede is going to come out next January, which is even sooner than I thought, but I'm very pleased about that. And they actually released a new trailer for it, which had some surprising developments. Like, I think it, overall the show looks good, but I thought the show was going to be like a prequel. But in the trailer, we see Meryl and we see Wolfwood, but uh, there's no Millie anywhere to be found. And she's been replaced by <laughs> some other guy called Roberto De Niro who's like this veteran uh, world War reporter type and I'm like did we really need to lose the Genki strong girl for like the sourpuss old dude I don't know about that. Basically, this is presenting the series as like a completely different take on Trigun. It's not even connected to the continuity of the manga or anime. It's just a completely new version interpretation of these characters. I definitely have had some conversations about folks who are not liking how some of the characters presented. I mean, because I mean, obviously, like Meryl, uh, now partnered with Robert De Niro, is no longer like an insurance agent. She's like a newspaper uh, reporter who's flying bash. Uh, Wolfwood, you know, his whole thing was like he was a man of the clock who engages in and they kind of toned him down a bit like he's much more clean shaven uh, and he's also not longer smoking but he's sucking on a lollipop like four kids Sanji <laughs> which I think he's cute but I also had a conversation that rightly pointed out that you know the drinking and the cigarette smoking were kind of an important telling part of like his characterization that you're kind of like changing by removing it so uh, it remains to be seen how the, the execution the, these versions of these characters are going to turn out but I mean I think the show looks like a lot of fun but uh, it is throwing me for a loop that oh I thought this was going to be a prequel story about like a younger Vash before the events of the main anime or manga story but no this is like completely new take so expectations entirely out the window I'm really curious to see what direction they're going to go with with this I will give them this they're making some interesting choices I will give them that uh huh and then in terms of other new anime coming out in the winter season Sugar Upper Fairy Tale which we covered the manga simulpub of it uh, recently uh, I guess last year I guess the, the anime adaptation that is going to be out starting in January I'm definitely curious to see how that will turn out similarly Heavenly Delusion which manga is being released by Dempa it was recently announced that's getting a anime adaptation that'll come in 2023 from Production IG and the promo poster looks really really good for it and this tiled up and really being getting more into. So, hey, I'm excited for it. Looks like it'll get a great production. And hopefully that draws attention to the manga and uh, gives some attention to Dempa as a publisher, which would be great. Then, this is a really cool thing. We got a announcement of an anime adaptation of Hiromo Arakawa's autobiographical manga, Hyakusho Kiseku. The translated title is The Peasant Noble. And this is basically Arakawa recounting her experiences as a farmer in Hokkaido for seven years before she became a manga creator and how that experience eventually formed her work on Silver Spoon. 
And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I love the farming stuff in Silver Spoon. So learning more of Arkara's real life experiences with that, especially with her being presented in her cow avatar form. <laughs> that sounds delightful to me. So very much looking forward to seeing a new anime adaptation of her works and especially of her own story. I hope this gets picked up somewhere and maybe hopefully we'll get the manga version. That would be cool, too. Yeah, if this can lead to the manga, getting licensed, that would be great as well. In terms of other stuff that we've enjoyed reading, kind of going to some you know, jump related stuff here. Hokkaido Girls are super adorable. Been doing that on Manga Plus, and now that's getting an anime in 2023 too, with more information to come at this year's Jump Festa. But we do know that Minami will be played by Ayani Sakura. So yeah, that's great. I, I like Hokkaido Girls a lot, and it's been a pretty popular series uh, on Jump Plus and Manga Plus. So not surprised that it's getting anime, and very much kind of looking forward to it. Oh, um, Ayane Sakura, she's the voice of, um, Uraraka. She's the voice of Uraraka. Okay, yeah, I was trying to look that up. Okay, I, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I need to get back to Hokkaido Gals, because I, I remember when we covered this on the podcast a little while ago in our Pubs episode, that I had my reservations, because I wasn't sure where the story was going in terms of, like, the main character and how, like, possibly dirtbaggy he might be, or whatever, but, like... Really dirtbaggy? That was not his characterization well, at all. Well, I remember thinking in the beginning, like, oh, I don't know about this guy, but, like, the more I read on, like, okay, this is really cute, and, like, I would want to read more. Like, I, I, I want to get back to this at some point, because I do remember really liking it. Yeah, it is a very cute, charming story. And yeah, I also need to catch up because I did fall a little behind on it. But yeah, very happy to see it getting an anime. And similarly, in terms of like stuff you can read on Manga Plus, Oshinoko, we talked about it banner announcement a while ago, but we have more information that the anime will debut in 2023 with an extended 90 minute first episode. And uh, we also got the announcement that Ritakashi is going to be playing I. So basically what I'm gathering is that this 90 minute first episode is going to adapt the first 10 chapters, which is all the stuff that is focused on I and her career as an idol. Like the stuff before the time skip, before Aqua and Ruby like start their own careers uh, as teens. And so that's kind of an interesting way to do it. But I feel like if it's going to be 90 minutes already, why not release that as a film? Uh, you feel like you're going to have it like be like movie length, but uh, either way, like I, I can see why they would want to make that part of the story like just one big thing and then have like the main story start like right after that and like uh show proper. I'm also kind of wondering if this will be like just episode one or if this is going to be like the first three episodes just together. I mean, they're calling it a 90 minute first episode. Hmm. So they're, they're considering this entire 90 minute thing up one episode. Mm. So so basically, however long this ends up being, this will just be basically like three extra episodes tied into one. Yeah, officially, it's just officially it's just considered one episode. Okay. Yeah, basically, you can think of it as like, oh, it's like three, four episodes all rolled into one. Okay, well, that's really cool. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I think that will be a great experience. Uh, other things coming soon next year, and now we're talking about things coming to Netflix. Junji Ito Maniac, if you're hankering for more Junji Ito anime, and especially frustrated that Uzumaki is going to take uh, much longer, under at least another year, you can check out the new uh, Junji Ito short story anime adaption, and yeah, that'll come out January 19th, 2023 on Netflix Worldwide. And it's by the same director of the previous Junji Ito collection anime, uh, which had mixed reception, so I don't know 
how how much better this might be. Hopefully, it will be better received and uh, executed better. But yeah, it's gonna have like adaptations of twenty stories from Ito's body of work that'll be animated for the first time, which include stories about Tomie and Soichi and uh, from many of the different volumes of Ito's works. So I am curious to to see how this turns out. The opening looks pretty cool, at least. Yeah. It really does. So that's promising. And hopefully the show proper turns out better executed received than the, the previous Jujutsu collection. I'm very much looking forward to the Black Clover movie. And I am a little disappointed, though, that it's going to go straight to Netflix on March 31st, 2023. Because I, I would have liked to see it in the theaters. Maybe, fingers crossed, we might get a special screening. But I don't know if Netflix will do that. But either way, I'm looking forward to watching the movie. You know, the animation looks good so far in the teaser. I guess the big question that has been had about this is like whether the Netflix dub is going to recast the characters or the, they'll get the Funimation cast or Crunchyroll cast at this point. Uh, hopefully they do because I, I don't know why they would like not reach out to them. I mean, the Netflix dubs, they throw even more resources into producing those than most other companies do. So I feel like reaching out to the Crunchyroll team, the dubbing team, the actor pool in Texas should be doable for them. So we'll see. But also, they do union dubs over at Netflix. So it'll also have to be a thing of like whatever. They can work with those actors. So uh, it'll be an interesting thing. Yeah, I I don't know how that's going to work. It would be nice if they got the actual cast back, but you never know. Speaking of more film news and also live action adaptation news, Inio Sano's Downfall, a kind of recent manga that they had done that came out from this a few years ago, is actually getting a live action film that's going to open in Japan March 17th, 2023. It is going to be directed by Naoto Hakenaka, who directed the live action Soki film. They also have done a lot of other things, and the screenplay will be by Yutaka Kuromochi. It's going to be produced by Jango Film. So yeah, I liked Downfall. It's like a not a very depressing read, but if you know if you like kind of a realistic kind of view of the of the manga industry about a guy who's like really struggling in it and uh, trying to find that secret formula for success and not finding it, it's a powerful story tackling that. So very much curious to see how it gets translated onto the screen. For more fluffier adaptation news, She Loves to Cook, She Loves to Eat, which is a recent, you know, Yuri cooking, enjoying food manga that recently got put out by Yen Press, that is getting a live action series that's going to premiere on NHK's Yorodora programming block on November 29th. And yeah, it's basically going to star Manami Hika as Yuki Nomoto, the girl who loves to cook, and Ebinishi No as Tokoko Kasuga, the girl who loves to eat, and it's going to have 10 episodes. And yeah, I mean, I have been meaning to read more of this. I have the book, but I, lo- I think it's such a charming read from what I have read of it so far. So I look forward to seeing the adaptation. I hope that this gets put on like Asian Crush or gets licensed for somewhere, because I think it would be such a fun show to watch. Much like a manga, it's fun to read. Now, moving on to kind of some other type of anime news. Like, uh, it's hard to transition. It's not a direct transition to this. But how about things that are, like, coming out, finally coming out? And that's, you know, we talked about this years ago that these were licensed. Yep, 2019. Yep, I was there in the panel room when they revealed the announcement for this, that they licensed the Yu Yu Hakusho OVAs, and uh, we've been waiting three years for those to get the release on some form, uh, for the dub of them to get released. But, uh, you know, been in silence for three years, but now it finally has been revealed that these OVAs, two shots and over nothing, are finally been dubbed, are finally coming out, but they're only coming out as part of the 30th anniversary box set that Crunchyroll is putting out on January 30th. 
31st, which these OVAs, I guess, originally were part of a screening event uh, in Japan and then only a part of like the 25th anniversary Blu-ray box that came out the same month in Japan. So maybe it's a stipulation that they can only release these in a similar way as like part of this big box set with the rest of the series. It is still frustrating, though, that after waiting literally years for these that I have to rebuy the series for a third time to, to watch these, <laughs> own these, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, the box set art looks cool, but it's not the most expensive relative to other things, but still like 70 bucks. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm and I also own it twice I'm not over. rebuying the series just for two OVAs. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Plus they, they already put out like a steelbook release before this. Yeah, I mean New Hogger is one of those series that they always have some release going for it because it's like such a popular evergreen title but yeah it's just release after release you know i have my fingers crossed that maybe maybe after some time they can just put these up on crunchyroll and they can just have lvs up streaming there and people don't have to just buy the box set to watch these i mean look if you don't already have the series then sure, go get this. But like, I'm happy with the Blu-rays I have. I'm not rebuying this box set just for two OVAs. Like if this had, you know, that other movie that Funimation doesn't have currently, maybe, I think it's called The Poltergeist Report. If that were included onto this, I would have kind of leaned towards it, but I, I just, I can't justify it. If it had been like a complete, complete box set, but it's not. One day, I hope we get something like that. But until then, I, I ain't budging. You're not getting my money. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more than fair. But at least these are coming out rather than being like locked away in a vault, never to be seen again, as Warner Brothers Discovery has done with several Toonami and Adult Swim originals, including their recent anime titles that just premiered in the last year, Blade Runner Black Lotus, Shenmue, and Fena. Those series are no longer available to stream on Adult Swim's website. They're not on HBO Max. And unfortunately, Shenmue 2, they were going to work on making a season 2. They were There were talks about it, but now it looks like that's not going to happen, even though it did well enough that they were planning for it. So that is unfortunate. Uh, the sub of these series can still be watched on Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll co-produced them, but the dub is no longer available for purchase anywhere. Well, they're still on iTunes. At least Blade Runner and Fena is. I don't think Shenmue dub ever got put onto iTunes. But uh, that is really unfortunate. And I'm also extremely sad about Laser Wolf and Tune also being written off because I really enjoyed those shows as well. And uh, it was such a shame that... Warner Brothers Discovery is like really trolling their creators under the bus and like just kind of cutting off their own appendages by like throwing away these shows that have value but they feel like oh well the royalties are paying on these are not justified by the views they're getting and for the short term it, we're going to cut our losses even though that prevents us from making use of these properties in the long term which I think is so short-sighted but I... I'm really frustrated. I'm especially frustrated on behalf of all the creators who like poured their heart and soul into making these shows to be seen and watched on these platforms. And then these platforms are like, no, we're just going to lock them away from ever. And no one can watch these officially ever in a way that gives you royalties. Yeah, Warner Bros. Discovery continues to suck. Uh, water's wet. The sky is blue. Not much has changed. Fucking sucks. Hate it. David Zaslav is just completely completely derailed like uh coming with such a story like a seeing catalog and it's just i am so frustrated about what's happening over there in general it's been a pretty bad time for the animation industry in terms of a lot of projects getting canceled across uh, every company platform so it's a uh, it's been a bad time 
But let's at least get into some more exciting things, uh, things that are coming that we can look forward to at Anime NYC, because Anime NYC is coming later this November. I'm going to be there. Um, hopefully going to experience a lot of these things. One of these things that I'm excited to experience is a prequel to Lupin. That's right. Lupin is getting a prequel anime. It's going to get the pup thing Scooby-Doo <laughs> Lupin series, the Lupin babies. <laughs> Uh, Lupin Kids. Uh, it's gonna get Lupin Zero, a six-episode net anime that is gonna appear like streaming-wise uh, in December from TMS. Basically, it's about like Lupin uh, when he was a little kid getting to misadventures with Jigen and, st- and other characters in the series when they were younger, uh, drawing upon like manga stories and like manga tales of Lupin's past. It's gonna even take place in the '60s too, so it's real throwback homage to Monkey Punch's manga. But like uh, the premiere of this show is gonna happen an anime nyc and yeah i'm definitely gonna attend that panel i mean it is like a reservation panel so hopefully i get into it but yeah i'm very very excited for this uh, and yeah even if i don't see it at anime nyc uh, it is going to be on high dive starting december 16th so that's something to look forward to yeah this looks like it could be pretty good actually i or i think it'll end up being enjoyable I, I'm, I'm open to this indeed but again uh, anime nyc has a lot of cool things being offered including a lot of cool desks a studio trigger team it's going to be there of Hiromi Hibakabayashi, Shigeto Koyama, and Sushio. They're going to do their, you know, normal trigger panels, probably talk about some of the stuff they've been working on. Maybe they can go into more details uh, about panty and stocking, which they couldn't go into too much at Otakon. Uh, maybe they can also, they'll probably also talk a lot about the reception to Cyberpunk, which I'm interested to hear their thoughts on. We're also getting the Studio Orange team of Yoshiro Watanabe and Waki Hirata, key producers there, to at NYC to talk about, you know, Trigun, promote that, uh, uh, definitely with the release of the recent trailer, there are a lot of questions I have uh, for them and curious to see what more insights, reels on the show they're going to be able to talk about. All right, quick update on the Studio Orange panel at Anime NYC, because it looks like they are going to be premiering the first episode of Trigun Stampede during that same panel on November 18th. So there you go. Look forward to that. If you're going to Anime NYC, you should go check that out. I'm sure Lum probably will. But yeah, just a small update amongst all the other Anime NYC news, which we will now get back to. If you've been enjoying Mob Psycho Season 3, Setsu Ito, the voice of Mob, is going to be at ANYC. And so he has like his own spotlight panel. So yeah, you can talk to him about his experiences being Mob, thoughts on the third season, and his other career roles and stuff. So that'll be cool. Uh, in terms of like big, big creator gets, uh, ANYC is going to host Hachime Isayama, creator of Attack on Titan. This is going to be his first U.S. appearance, his first appearance at a U.S. convention. He's taken the main stage on that Saturday, the 19th. He, and the day before that, he's going to have an autograph signing on the 18th. So he, this is the big guest. This is huge, huge. And uh, Kodansha is going to go all out on Tekken Titan promotion. There's going to be a booth with activations at the event. The panel for this is going to be pretty big. So yeah, this this is going to be like a real centerpiece for the, the event. And uh, I'm excited. There's an opportunity to interview him. Uh, hopefully I can get in the room for that uh, and can answer some questions. Because yeah, this is going to be this is pretty big. Uh, it's always awesome to see big manga creators come over here, get panels, spotlights, and uh, hope he enjoys the experience in New York and uh, enjoys the adoration of all the fans who have enjoyed his work for the past 10 decade plus years. But in addition to all these, you know, great guests coming, there's also a lot of cool premieres uh, happening in Anime NYC. Uh, besides Lupin Zero, there's also High Card by Homer Kawamoto, me mentioned before. Uh, he actually is making this show 
with his younger brother, who's also an author, uh, Hikaru Muno, and they're working with producer Hiroki Okamoto. And this is a series that's going to come out January 2023. And yeah, it's kind of another, kind of falling into Okamoto's strengths of like gambling, high stakes, battle wits type series. This is a story about like a guy who kind of decides to set out for a casino to make a fortune, but then he ends up finding himself in like a, a nightmare, involved in a shootout, found that like there's this world order conspiracy involving like trading cards that bestow powers to different people and using these cards you can access hidden powers and you get to participate in this game called high card uh they try and collect all sorts of cards scattered throughout a kingdom and uh, you have to moonlight as employees of a luxury car maker and go on missions to find all these cards so a lot of crazy stuff happening in this premise here but at the core of it it's still kind of that high stakes battle of wits insanity that komodo is known for with kakagurui so it sounds really interesting I'm definitely keen to check that out. But uh, there's also a lot of premieres coming courtesy of Crunchyroll. So at the event, there's going to be a premiere of the first two episodes of Tomo-chan as a girl. The laid-back camp movie is going to premiere. I didn't even see. There's also going to be simulcast premieres for Don't Toy With Me, Miss Nagatora's second season, Ice Braid Sorcerer, Shall Rule the World, and Reincarnation of the Strongest Exorcist in Another World, and for our Shoggy friends, Tale of the Outcasts. That will also have its premiere there. And uh, yeah, so those are kind of spread across the 18th and 19th. Like the layback camp screening is on the 18th at 4pm. And then it looks like Crunchyroll is like doing like a block of the premieres of Ice Blade, Reincarnation, and Tale of Outcasts at 8pm. And then a second block with Tomo-chan and Nagatoro uh, on the 19th at 5. So yeah, a lot of cool screenings. uh, Sneak peeks to look forward to there. And yeah, that's a lot of exciting, exciting anime news, anime NYC news to talk about. But even though this story is going to be a little more of a deflate, I think it was important. It's an important one to talk about because I want to end the show off by kind of talking about some revelations, recent news that came out about the passing of Kazuki Takahashi, which it was revealed that the circumstances in which he passed away was actually trying to help save another person's life. Uh, basically, what happened was that kind of off the coast in Okinawa like there were some people caught in a riptide there was like a 11 year old girl her mother and a US soldier and they were caught in a rip current like 100 meters from the shore on July 4th and there was an army major there who was like you know, focusing on rescuing them and eventually did succeed in rescuing them. But unbeknownst to him, Takahashi saw the situation and actually tried to help and unfortunately never really made contact with uh, the army nature or or the people caught in the riptide and he just uh, fell to the current himself and ended up drowning and it's just such a heartbreaking story but it's heartwarming in the sense that Takahashi it speaks to Takahashi's character of like you know he was trying to help save another person and he was putting himself selflessly in danger to try and help people and even though you know uh, it's a da- it was dangerous and I, I feel like it's such a frustrating tragedy because in the end he didn't reach them but again even though he didn't end up interacting with them uh, I still think that the fact that he was motivated by trying to help people is like a moving thing to remember that hey, Takahashi you know he ended up passing away in an effort to help someone else and I 
I think that you want to think just fondly of your creators and the heart of their character. And I think that this story was so moving because it spoke to that. And uh, I know it just saddens me even more. And yeah, it saddens me. But I, at least, I mean, I wish the frustrating thing is because like in the end, he didn't succeed at helping. And like the army major didn't even know what he was doing until it was too late. The army major is the guy who saved the people. And it's like, I wish someone could have been there to help him, Takahashi. And it's sad because of that. It's sad and frustrating. But at the same time, again, like just knowing that he had the heart of a hero inside of him and he was trying to do something so heroic and selfless. Again, it it makes me just respect and admire him all the more and just makes me all the more sadder to know that such a kind hearted soul passed away just so suddenly and tragically like that. Yeah, in summation, Kazuki Takahashi is a goddamn hero, and I I really didn't think I could respect him any more than I already did, but yeah, this, I couldn't agree with you more. This really makes me sad. I, I just, I admire him so much. I really do. And as tragic as his death was, I'm glad to know that he at least died trying to do the right thing. To save another person. To help another person. And I think that's an example we can all aspire to emulate just that selflessness and thoughtfulness for the well-being of another person. I couldn't agree more. Um, boy, I really don't know how to end the episode after talking about that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but, God, yeah, I'm sorry. Now I'm, I'm getting really emotional, but I, I do think that's the end of our news, though. Yeah, we saved it for the end because it was like a heavy piece of news, but also in a way inspiring. This example is inspiring to us and should serve as an inspiration to us. And I want us to leave with an uplifted feeling of like, hey, this creator whose work meant so much to us, he he was real deal. He lived the heroism that he wrote in his manga. And we should all strive to be as kind a person as that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So I want to transition us into community shout outs. I do have a few that even though we're past the spooky season, Halloween season, I do have a few things that I enjoyed in the past month that I want to share. They're not all strictly anime related, but I think that they're from creators that I really enjoy and that would be of interest to you. So, you know, we talked about how Warner Brothers Discovery was kind of screwing over creators. You know, there were a lot of layoffs recently. One of those persons uh, laid off recently was a creator I really love, Maxine Simonet, the creator of Tender Touches, he was a big part of the Adult Swim streams when those were like in thriving. And, you know, he's kind of moved on to doing like this cool ARG series and YouTube channel called Gilbert Garfield, which just from the name should let you know the appeal of it just <laughs> just inherently the idea of like this mashup of Gilbert Gottfried and Garfield and this idea that you know we are uncovering this long lost crossover slash version of Garfield and Friends where Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> was voicing Garfield and like there's a weird version of Gilbert Gottfried's face uh, as Garfield's face uh, oh. but it's it goes in much stranger places than that that I don't want to spoil for you <laughs> 
but it is very fascinating. The story that Max and his collaborators have been weaving with that, uh, which some, goes into some very funny, also very disturbing places. It's just really, really fun to follow. And again, it's an ARG, so there's an interactive element that's fun to play along with too. So definitely want to shout that out because, you know, again, big fan of Maxine, some of his work, and this has been a really fun project. And uh, I, I can't believe, like, it's been going on for a few months now. I can't believe I only just found out about it, but yeah, I really ate it all up because it's been so entertaining. Uh, and again, just inherently, the idea of Gilbert Garfield should tickle you. It <laughs> should get you interested. So also a tradition of the Halloween season is Treehouse of Horror from The Simpsons. And, you know, at the time of the recording, we have not seen the new Treehouse that parodies Death Note, which is very annually. I'm very excited for that one because it looks so good. Yeah, there, there are clips out and they do they do look good. Yeah, but I do want to recommend, you know, if you're in the mood of reminiscing on Treehouse segments, Real Gems has done some good videos over the years, like kind of profiling and highlighting some of the best Treehouse segments. But actually this year, he made a list of the worst treehouse segments which uh, there are some segments he highlighted that i personally like but i can see where he is coming from with some of these and i, I think that most people would agree on his number one being like the worst treehouse so i think always jim's thoughts on you know the show and what its strengths are are always good and even when he's being uncharacteristically negative on the show because he's mostly pretty positive on topics he chooses to highlight when it comes to the series uh, I think that he did a good fair uh, approach and evaluation of these segments he didn't like but I also want to encourage you to check out the videos he's done on the segments he does like in the post-classic era of the Simpsons as well as the classic era Uh, speaking of Simpsons coverage I also want to highlight Cartoons That Curse's recent episode on Simpsons season 33 just because I'm glad that there's Again, being kind of a revival of appreciation on the show uh, in recent seasons, and especially now that Mount Settlement has taken more of a clear creative voice in it as showrunner. So I think that they chose like some of the standout episodes to talk about. And uh, yeah, I enjoy the conversation. As someone who also enjoys the show, just wanted to share that. In addition, like, there's been some really good episodes of the current season. One particular one that got people talking was Lisa the Boy Scout, and Johnny did a great video on that and the meta commentary it's making about the show's fandom through that episode. And Lydia also did, like, a fun look at that meta commentary. Lydia is also another great Simpsons reviewer, and she also maybe was the inspiration for one of the characters in that episode. The two conspiracy theory characters in the episode seem to be, like, kind of inspired by her and her co-writer of the Simpsons book she wrote so that's an interesting maybe connection so I've enjoyed their takes on that episode and uh, just what it has to say about like kind of the show's relationship to fandom meta commentary in terms of other YouTubers and going back to spooky topics that I want to highlight I really been enjoying Afi Kiki's look back at kind of the revival era Scooby-Doo movies like the four Scooby movies that were like produced by or like animated by like this uh, Japanese animation studio starting with Zombie Island's Drew Cyber Chase I really have been enjoying her look she kind of went in reverse chronological order she started with Cyber Chase and ended with a Zombie Island but they took a good look at those films and what works and what didn't uh, and some of them like it's interesting like basically the two films that don't hold up as well the ones that had the most creative interference and the two films that did are the ones that had uh, much less so that goes to show but yeah it's I also revisited those films in addition to like watching their videos on them and yeah I kind of would definitely fall in line though even I feel like with the films that are better I actually, I don't know if I still uh, enjoy I mean I, I liked like Zombie Island and stuff but I don't know I 
that I was like perfectly like flawless in my estimation in revisiting it. But either way, it was fun to like kind of revisit those films and like get Kiki's thoughts on it, like what they did well and like what the ones that especially seemed to kind of middle uh, could have done better. And then finally, you know, I guess going back to the subject of like Adult Swim related creators, Andy Merrill recently revealed that he's going to be uh, reprising Brack on Jellystone, which got me really excited. Ooh. But also it turned my attention to, and I, I've been watching his like Brack puppet theater videos over the past two years that he's been doing in lockdown, but recently he posted like more of a kind of full length, like pilot version of that show that he was trying to pitch to Adult Swim to like develop into like a proper show. He just like posted that like recently and I think it's a lot of fun. And so I just wanted to, especially since I've kind of been on a Brack kick recently and I'm excited for Andy to return to the character in Jellystone. I just wanted to share his YouTube channel with his Brack paper toward readers and especially this pilot that he made, the Brack Lockdown Socially Distant Quarantine Show because it's, it's charming <laughs> and it's always a, a delight to hear Andy as Brack and it's just fun with his improvisations and uh, his little songs and enthusiasms. So, yeah. And uh, those are, I guess, kind of the things I wanted to highlight on this episode. And uh, there are even more things that I've been checking out and excited about. But uh, I'll save that for future because we've already run a little long. And there's so much more to talk about uh, later. But, hey, we'll, we'll save that for later. And until then, we'll uh, head into the wrap up of the show and let you know where you can find us and talk about some cool stuff with us. For sure. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. We really hope you enjoyed yet again another long news episode where uh, we actually ended up covering at least uh, 99% of our news, which is very, very cool. And yeah, I guess, again, like we said at the top of the show, a lot of schedule weirdness is going to be coming up in terms of like when we're releasing our podcast and in terms of like how long we'll need to edit certain shows. And so I don't necessarily want to say what's coming up just yet because things are kind of up in the air. But, you know, we do have some cool podcasts coming up that uh, we really hope you guys will look forward to. And yeah, we're, we're just going to let you guys know where you can follow us to basically get the latest updates on what we're doing podcast-wise and everything going on over at Manga Mavericks. But first, we're going to plug our stuff, starting with my good friend Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Romayasha as Lum Romayasha on a variety of places like Amish Relation and Analyst. Where there's Lum Romayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on MangaRose.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out. Look forward to one there. I did a review for Usatoki Rhetoric recently, which I really uh, loved and enjoyed, and interviewed the translator of that series, Molly Rabbit, as well. So look forward to that interview coming out uh, as soon as I can finish it. But but yeah, like, look forward to more reviews on there. And of course, on MangaRoads.com, you can find the other podcasts I do. Lum Squad, the Yurisei Yatsura Focus Podcast, covering the wonderful Lucky World of Rukashi's Yurisei Yatsura, which of course is, like, in the news. Like, all the buzz and fandom right now thanks to the new anime that's airing. And we have been uh, working to record uh, our thoughts on that. It's been a little tricky because AC is still in Japan. So we're hoping to reconvene and we're hoping to get episodes out uh, more regularly. I've been working on doing some actually individual episode reviews called Lum Solos that I also have been meaning to put out. In addition to that, we're still covering the mangas released by Viz Media, and we're still covering the movies, the old original TV series that are available streaming on Crunchyroll, available for Discord, and also looking forward to covering the original show when that gets released by Discord next year. So a lot of exciting things for us to talk about as Yurisayatsu fans, Tsurugodayashi fans, and if you want to come and join us in putting Weirder Weirder together and making things even weirder, yeah, definitely listen to us. 
Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Love Underscore Squad. You can find us on YouTube by searching for a channel name in the search bar. And you can also find us every podcast where you can get Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. And we're also cross-posting episodes on the Minorites feed. And also we post episodes early on the Minorites Patreon, sometimes much early. So look forward to more stuff on there. And if you like the art I make, the illustrations I make for our podcast, the animations illustrations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other stuff outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over on my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page and basically take a look at everything I'm doing outside of Manga Mavericks, uh, including such shows as uh, One Podcast Prevails, a podcast I do about Detective Conan and covering the manga in particular, just a Gintama podcast where we are uh, currently doing like a rewatch of the Gintama anime. That's always been fun. Uh, another day, another adventure at another DB pod, you know, where I've been uh, watching Dragon Ball with my good friend Sakaki. And, uh, you know, y- you can find links to all these and basically everything I'm doing right now. Once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Click on the podcast page and check out all my stuff and everything I'm doing. But uh, as for Manga Mavericks and everything we're doing here and where you can find us, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks. where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon first. Uh, but admittedly, that doesn't always happen because of scheduling weirdness. And, you know, it really depends on what we have done at any given point. Um, so really, if you want more reliable content, admittedly, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. Like I said at the top of the show, if you enjoyed our recent Red Sprite episode, you should definitely listen to our companion episode on Iron Knight from Tomohiro Yagi. Uh, it was a really fun discussion. I had a lot of fun reading Iron Knight. And once again, it's always cool to have our good friend Maxion to talk about Cancelled Shonen Jump manga. And yeah, basically, if you if you just want more Cancelled Shonen Jump manga talk, you can listen to that once again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks at the $5 tier uh, amongst basically all the other bonus podcasts we've done over the years and you know in general when you sign up for our patreon you know it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we're doing because everything we make on our patreon goes back to keeping the website and the podcast up and yeah it it really helps us out even more than we could even put in the words quite honestly so again patreon.com slash manga mavericks please sign up if you so wish to but as for everything else and where you can find us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast and everything we're doing. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Uh, are you reading anything that you want to tell us about or maybe you want us to cover on the show? You know what? Email us about manga or the podcast or whatever. We love getting emails from you guys because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Once again, that's at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts and places like that and Spotify, uh, wherever you can do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating and review on these platforms, it really helps the visibility of our show. But in general, we just love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. But all right, that's going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 
219. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 220. Bye, guys. Sayonara.